What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, rivalry week is here. Let's go. Oh, yes. Let's oh, go. Yes. Early pod for us. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, drive into Thanksgiving plans. Thank you. Turn us up a little bit. Make sure everybody in the car can hear. If you are listening to this after the fact and you are listening to this maybe on a Friday or something and the Egg Bowl has already happened, you're just a sicko and you are just hoping to prove us wrong. Shame on... No, I'm just kidding. Listen to us whenever. You're just like us for real, honestly. That's the first <laughs> thing I would do is be like, let me see everybody that was wrong. You, you will catch me not doing that. <laughs> shout, shout out to Wes Medeiros, by the way, who was listening to the pod uh, after the fact on sunday he was listening to the preview pod on sunday as he's shoveling several feet of snow up in Mm -hmm. buffalo poor guy man poor Mm -hmm. guy um but yes happy thanksgiving to all may your hawaiian rolls be flaky may your rivals be shaky oh yeah let's go got a little pre-christmas poetry going yeah might have to i'm might have to join up with the hawaiian rolls people to see if we can work out something because a trademark in the works for that every time of every time rivalry week rolls around would feel very very appropriate but we got a great pod lined up got loaded loaded regular season finale slate to preview our buddy matt barry is going to join us in a little bit it's going to hit on a bunch of different things across the landscape of college football we've got bold and brass rivalry week edition and lad of the week but before we dig into everything else you know that our presenting sponsor is texas Pete. I talk about it each and every podcast there is nothing like going into your pantry and realizing oh my gosh the possibilities are endless i have so much texas Pete that i can use on just about anything that i want and that's what we're going to be doing this time of year plenty of great thanksgiving food that that you can just douse in texas pete you got some dry I was turkey to say you were talking hawaiian rolls think about this post thanksgiving leftovers get some turkey texas pete hawaiian roll boom that's you don't need anything more you don't need any toppings you don't even need gravy because <laughs> the, the the texas pete's going to take care of that you got a dry turkey you know when you go to somebody else's house or whatever and you're like all right this isn't this isn't the way that i would cook this turkey you're going to put on a brave face just ask them if they've got some texas pete just that's what you got to do to just drown out whatever dry turkey you're dealing with. Texas Pete will have you covered. Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, all caps, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, let's start with the Egg Bowl, Will. Mississippi State. Ole Miss, number 20, Ole Miss slipping just a little bit, two and a half point favorite. Mm-hmm. They are the over under 0.5. No, not 0.5. Just kidding. Five references to Auburn. Over is going to hit on that one. Man, okay. That's the worst, right? Whatever the broadcast, like that's their thing. Oh, yeah. And we can control that a little bit. Matt Berry is going to be on the call for that. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of make that, you know, make sure that under hits. If you didn't see what happened on the old Twitter machine on Tuesday night, Monday night, actually, wow, <laughs> just wow is the only way to say it. Uh, John uh, Sokoloff, Sokoloff, I don't know. Uh, he reported that Lane was going to resign at Ole Miss on Friday after the Egg Bowl and that he was going to Auburn, despite the fact that Auburn hadn't offered the job. John Sokoloff works at the local station in Starkville. So if you're thinking, hey, what's the connection there? 
uh, could be a certain John Cohen who left Mississippi State to be Auburn's new athletic director. So that would kind of line up a little bit. But that was really just the beginning of this, because as everybody and their mother who has any sort of care about college football is texting, is this real? Is this real? What's going on? I had three different text groups going, is this real? What do we mm-hmm. make of this? Actually, four, if you want to include my editor, Chris Wright, who, of course, is texting me at 830 on a Monday night. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Um, so this was just the beginning of some fun that Kiffin had and only Kiffin could probably get away with this. And we'd all just laugh and say, ah, you know what? Just lane being lane. So he quote tweets the, the original tweet, the breaking news tweet and says, quote, that's news to me, John face palm emoji, nice sources. And then with a bunch of different emojis and crap, Mm -hmm. because why wouldn't Kiffin do that? 40 minutes later, Kiffin tweets out this fake statement that says in all caps, Breaking news, John Sokoloff of WCBI News in Starkville, Mississippi, plans to step down as lead anchor and head to WLOX to become their lead anchor. Sources say WLOX hasn't offered the job to anyone yet, so John to WLOX is happening story soon. Say whatever you want about Lane, and I'm sure many things are going to be said about Lane this week, but the dude never takes an L, ever. Well, it's incredible Saturday, but um, yeah, point being, <laughs> I, I'll give him a lot of credit for if he, here's the key. If he stays at Ole Miss, this is a baller move. This is the biggest win I've seen from Lane from a PR standpoint. If he turns around and leaves, it's a big time sicko move, but if he stays, it's awesome. If he leaves though, does it really, does it really change a whole lot? And there wasn't a clear denial, which that's the frustration for Ole Miss fans in this, you know? Mm-hmm. And okay. So it doesn't mean that Lane's going. It doesn't mean that he's staying. It doesn't really mean anything. But Lane, of course, can kind of diffuse the situation, add a little bit of humor to it, have some fun with it because the ball's in his court. That's the way that this works. John could be right. Lane could be right. I'd be surprised if this was a done deal right now. I'll say that. I remember 2017. And were you were you still living? Yeah, you were still living in Orlando in 2017, right? Yep. Okay. So the Scott Frost thing. I had a source very close to the situation at UCF tell me that it was a done deal and that Frost had told his staff leading up to the AAC championship that it was already a done deal. He was going to bring him on board to Nebraska. And if I came out with that on Monday of that week and just tweeted out, they can refute it six ways to Sunday. And I say they, meaning UCF, Scott Frost, anybody close to him, because ultimately the agent gets to decide when they want this news broken and why it feels like all of these stories that we see are broken by the same three people, right? They are. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it from Scott Frost's agent. So it would have turned into Connor's not reliable and the Pete, the Mel, the, the Pete Dammel, the Brett McMurphy's, the Bruce Feldman's of the world. They would have played ball. They would have not run with anything on that Monday. Did you notice that none of them had any original reporting and that they were just retweeting Lane along with this? So Mm -hmm. take that for what it is. It was understood with Frost that he wasn't going to tell the team until after the AAC championship. And in the second half of of the game, Brett McMurphy just decides, ah, it's close enough. I played ball for long enough. I'm just going to tweet this now. And then sure enough, by the time the game is over, everybody has that news and Credit Brett Murphy. He was the first one to go on record. He didn't have it be refuted. The agent was just like, all right, whatever. We'll just, this is, this is what it is at this point. 
Frost agent decided that, okay? Decided that it was time. So that's a long-winded way of saying that this could absolutely be in the works right now. And Kiffin, who is represented by Jimmy Sexton, could very well have this operation working behind closed doors. And we don't necessarily have to be privy to that information. And even Lane doesn't always have to be privy to that information. He can be sitting there reading his book about the Egg Bowl on a Monday night because coaches get to do that. And that's why you hire agents. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, (laughs) this could be the worst kept secret in the world by Friday. It could. It very well could. We're recording this on Tuesday, right? Tuesday afternoon. My guess is that it won't be exactly like the Frost situation because Frost brought his entire UCF staff over, which was part of the reason why this leaked so early back in 2017. Mm-hmm. I highly doubt that would be the case for Lane and Auburn. So just keep that in mind. So that's that's the deal kind of with that. Does that kind of make sense as we move forward with this storyline? It's really not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure there's a couple of hours for Big Murphy, or, or I was thinking that from your perspective, like if you knew that for a fact, it's like, would you rather tweet that out there and fight with UCF Twitter or walk directly into a fire hose? And I feel like yeah. I feel like the fire hose might be the move because like, yeah, that's why people don't do that because it's like, it's up to these people. Ultimately, it's a very hard decision and say what you will. Like there are obviously some coaches that are, you know, not going to, you know, there are coaches that have been bad people and done bad things, but most coaches do care about their players. They do care about their staff. They want to handle these things delicately. So that's the thing is like, got to be respectful of these situations however they go because it's ultimately someone's decision and whenever people try to get out in front of it and like mess it up for everybody it's like come on bro we'd really rather just wait than have this be a disaster yeah and sometimes when this gets released at a time that the coach isn't planning for we get situations like the brian kelly thing last year and the way that that played out with him going to lsu and you know what it doesn't take a whole lot for this thing to kind of get sideways and to get ugly and it could get ugly we just don't know but that was just kind of my takeaway watching the way that this played out on monday night so that, that's that's the deal with what's going on with that right now. If it happens officially, we'll obviously have a ton more thoughts on on what it could mean on a recap pod that we record on Sunday. For now, I think we can all acknowledge that there's at least a decision that'll be made from Kiffin and the ball is in his court now to decide what he wants his future to be, if he wants his future to be at Ole Miss or if he wants his future to be at Auburn. As for the game, the game that Lane is yeah, coaching in, which you may or may not hear about, I love the Egg Bowl so much. I do. I say that every year, but it's Mm -hmm. great. It's wonderful. I refrain from my usual over-under of the amount of Hawaiian rolls I will have consumed by kickoff, so credit to me. Okay. It's it's a high number. I'm already looking at the Hawaiian rolls that I got on Sunday, and I'm like, why did I just get one pack? What am I doing? What this is? Come on, Auburn it's reference. SEC portion control. That's the one pack of Hawaiian rolls. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's next to impossible for me. Once I know that's sitting in the pantry, come on, those things just peel right off. You pop one in, boom, easy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this game is the perfect distraction from the fact that Lane is in the center of these rumors. And his team has been pretty frustrating the last few weeks. The Egg Bowl can kind of snap you right into focus or out of focus because you get into a fight. That's the beauty of the Egg Bowl. It's great. If, yeah, if you are out of focus, you will get punched in the face. So you got to be in focus all the time. Very much. Focus is a, is a very constant topic of conversation when these two teams meet. Remember, this is the championship game in the state of Mississippi in which they decided let's give away this trophy so that we don't get into fights on the field afterwards. That's beautiful. That's the essence of what every rivalry should be, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
A totally different challenge for the Ole Miss defense than last week against Arkansas's rushing attack or the week before in the second half when Alabama decided to start leaning on that ground game. I actually think Will Rogers has been really good in the Egg Bowl despite that 0-2 record. Remember last year, Mississippi State had like three different drop passes in the red zone early in the game on that drive, and it totally flipped the momentum of the game. This year, I would expect Ole Miss to be able to get some pressure on Rodgers. That's been an issue for Mississippi State in these road games, at least the SEC road games. Rodgers struggled in some of these spots away from Starkville. His quarterback rating at home, 157. On the road, 113.6. Bad. Real Mm -hmm. bad. Won that game at Arizona, but struggled at LSU, struggled at Kentucky, and then obviously struggled at Bama. What do all three of those SEC teams have in common, Will? Who are the three teams again? So we're talking LSU, where Will Rogers struggled, of course, in the fourth quarter collapse they had at Kentucky. Surprising that he struggled as much as he did, though. The Kentucky defense has been really good this year. And then at Bama. So what do those three teams, LSU, Kentucky, and Bama, have in common? Oh, man. I want to guess a defensive scheme. I know it's got to be like they all have great defenses or Alabama can in some situations, I guess. Great front sevens. Just great front sevens that get pressure on the quarterback. That's exactly as simple as that. And you kind of look at this Ole Miss defense that doesn't necessarily have those headliner names in it, but at the same time, they got six guys with at least three sacks this year. They bring pressure from all over the place, and it can be J.J. Pickies up front. It can be Otis Reese from the second level. Sometimes they like to line them up in the box. They do a lot of different things, and I think they should be able to do that enough in this game. And on the other side, lost in the shuffle, the ugly loss to, to Arkansas, was the fact that Ole Miss offensive line paved the way for two different 200-yard rushers in this mm-hmm. game. Here's a wild thought. Didn't realize until I looked this up. Quinshawn Judkins is two rushing yards away from freshman Todd Gurley. <laughs> oh, boy, was that a special play. And look, I'm not saying that that means Judkins is going to be Gurley 2.0 or anything like that, but just to put it in perspective a little bit, and he's only 167 rushing yards away from Freshman Nick Chubb, which another very special player, two of the best freshmen we've ever seen at any position in the history of the SEC, maybe in the history of college football. Mm -hmm. Judkins might get 167 in this game because the Mississippi State run defense can be had. We respect the 335, but still they're allowing 4.34 yards per carry. That's 89th nationally. I think Ole Miss, despite a week of headlines about their head coach, shows up ready to go. I think they win this game by two touchdowns. How do you think this plays out? Yeah, I think, and you know, that's the thing about the 3-3-5, right, is you give away a little bit of that size in the middle um, to cover sideline to sideline. And when you have this rushing attack like Ole Miss that can run the ball in so many ways, you know, we've joked about Jackson Dart being dual threat, but they do call runs for him. Yeah, so, they do. He, you know, he, he is an option to run the ball. So you got basically three options when you're a three, three, five, obviously you, it, the strength is kind of outside of the tackle box. So yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think that this is going to be a get right game. And of course, to your point, it's like, the there's always going to be like the extra layer of like oh well did Lane lose last week because he was looking for the Auburn job yep. and you know that's always going to happen you play know? the so results it's like right it's always play the results and of course if Lane cruises then we're not saying that and that part of that's Pittman and I, I hate that because you take credit away from the other team when you do that but point being I think that if that team is ready to play if they're if they're good to go and you, you would think that they wouldn't have two of those performances in a row feels like this one's pretty open and shut for Ole Miss I love saying that because I know I'm gonna be wrong every time I'm like <laughs> yes yes I feel great about this lately it's just like yeah but point being it feels like 
And like, you know, we've been big Will Rogers guys, big Leach guys, but it just feels like this is kind of what Leach is at, at Mississippi State. And maybe maybe we like him and we like them. And other than the chubby girlfriends joke, that was uncalled for. And we talked about that. But, you know, maybe maybe that is a bigger conversation that you need to have about Mississippi State, which is just that they've been kind of the same team every year. They And, and this is a game they've never won. And then, you know, the bowl, it was this game and then the With bowl Leech, game last yeah. year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. With Leach. And so it was this game and then the bowl game and the wheels completely came off. And it wasn't really Rogers. I remember vividly, uh, we're talking about you know where I'm going for Thanksgiving, and it's like I remember the, the tweeting about the Mississippi State receivers and being like, "What are these guys already like on? Are they still at the Thanksgiving table? What's going on?" But <laughs> it's not really, it's not his fault. But that offense, just after a while, it, it seems like the, the later the year goes on, the more people are like, "All right, buddy, fifty passes, we got it." And it, I'm glad he brought up the leech point because it's it's worth remembering he could drop to zero and three in egg bowls, mm-hmm. and the guy who hired him, the guy who negotiated his extension, John Cohen, he's mm-hmm. at Auburn now. Mike Leach to Auburn. That's like where your head's at. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> don't want to go on record saying that. that no, would I'm be just kidding. That was a, a can of worms. Worse, guys. Yeah. Can of worms. I don't want to open up at all. Um, not saying that Leach is getting fired for losing this game. Not saying that. But they're going to have a lot of defensive turnover next year. We'll wait and kind of see how the Zach Arnett job search, if he's getting an opportunity to potentially be a head coach, if that's in the works for him. But going seven and five with this kind of experience and falling to 0-3 against Ole Miss would be a major missed opportunity for Leach. I really do, especially with all the turnover that was on that Ole Miss side. All right. Mm-hmm. That would be really tough. After next year, it'd be 11 million bucks to fire Leach. So again, just something to keep in mind. Let's appreciate this one because I think there's a decent chance that this is the last egg bowl with Leach and Kiffin. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, I remember when I was at the LSU Mississippi State game, I was like, you know, I'm like a very creative smack talker. And what I said to the guys like, so you think this is the year like this is this is the year you guys can go to Atlanta. The guy was like, yeah, that was building it up till the fourth quarter. And it's like, if you think about what Mississippi State has right now, they have an amazing defensive coordinator, like one of easily the top two or three best in the SEC. We've been singing this praises since they got there. Everybody has tried to go get him. That is something that at Mississippi State, you're going to have for a limited time. Let's just be honest about it. You know what I'm saying? You can always find a version of it, but you know, whenever a guy like that gets that amount of traction, this is a guy that could be considered for a head coaching job. This is a guy that could get picked by one of these staffs that are starting to shape up at these like big time programs. So you start there and think, Oh, this is a perfect defense to complement what Leach wants to do on offense. And the other side, he has the the perfect quarterback for him too, that he's had nearly, you know, he's had him the entire time. I know he's in the yeah. starter. I will never forget KJ Costello. I promise you, but, I, but, <laughs> but point being, he's had stability at the quarterback position. You know, we talked about last year, good offensive tackles. And so the things that you kind of look for that are, that could go either way, a lot of them have been going Leach's way. And that's why we're so frustrated by him and things with the chairs and like all these different things you do it's like dude the world is paying for you to be like a great mississippi state team through your system you just need to adapt or die a little bit and i hate to say it but it's like all of these elements just can't be there forever man we just paved the way for mississippi state to win this game by 28 points oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hey, did. you're welcome state fans yes state fans uh please and thank you uh send me a cowbell if and when mississippi state wins this game and yeah. nobody would be happier than us if Leach did figure it out going into the end of the season, knocked off Ole Miss, won their bowl game, and had like a big head of steam going into next year. Because we both like the style of we like our net, we like the style of offense. Like I said, he kind of rubbed us the wrong way with some of the quotes, but it's just a fun style to watch. And we don't like watching it implode. We're not rooting for this. Yeah, I'm not rooting for it to implode. I'd say that there would be people more happy than I would be. You know, just yeah. You know, the the Joe Moorhead narrative. I can't play that anymore. <laughs> hey, you these know. are all Moorhead's players. All right, watch out now. You know who never lost Ole Miss. <laughs> Joe Moorhead.
Just saying. Facts. Just saying. All right. Arkansas, three point favorites against Mizzou. This one in Columbia. The over under I have 134 rushing yards for Rocket Sanders. That is what he has to average in these final two games to hit 2006 Darren McFadden numbers. By the way, think about this 1,680 rushing yards total would give. So that's the number that Rocket or Judkins, I think, is realistic to try and hit. Mm-hmm. They could have a top 10 rushing season in SEC history. That's oh, yeah. nuts. And, and they both deserve it. They've been phenomenal backs. First team all SEC. If you got anybody else in that spot, I'd say watch more football. Uh, yeah. Get out, get outside. This is, you know, this is an SEC that has Gibbs. It has, you know, Emory. Every team, which has C-Rod, who obviously missed games. I get that. But feels like a lot of teams have that guy. And these two guys are still a cut above. Yes, agreed. Uh, so that number is also really close to what Mizzou is allowing per game on the ground. They're allowing 129 rushing yards per game, much improved unit with Blake Baker. That much we know very well documented on this podcast. So different story than last year, also much different story than last year. Mizzou having Luther burden, that element seems like a really good time to force feed him some touches and maybe not have to, deal with potentially hearing about transfer talk and all that. Just, just throwing that out there. He has not a coincidence, multiple catches and multiple rushing attempts in each of his last four games. Hmm. Interesting how that works. Very interesting. Averaging 44 snaps in that stretch. Wouldn't be surprised if they try to get him some looks on the edges, maybe try and give Brady Cook some easy dump offs, try and slow down those Arkansas pass rushers would make a lot of sense. Burton's going to be on the field all day, which is good for Mizzou. Also good for Mizzou. Spoiler bust. Hmm? That's that's nice to have going into that last game of the year when you're dealing with injuries and you're like, all right, we're, you know, guys don't always get motivated for those random forced rivalries. All right. They don't, they just don't. But game like this could mean a lot for, for Mizzou. They got a lot to play for. Very different than last year when all Mizzou had to play for was getting Tyler Beatty a rushing record. I mean, I was mm-hmm. just out here just giving him all these carries in the fourth quarter when it's like, game's over. Why don't you just chill? Okay, <laughs> just chill. Uh, bad for Connor. Bad for Will. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, I got to listen to Rick Neuheisel on the call. Not looking forward to that. Really not. Don't think he's going to be a guest on this show anytime soon. Um, not really <laughs> reaching out to make that one happen. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've been pretty vocal about my lack of enjoyment of Rick Neuheisel. Um, we get to listen to him say that Brady Cook is a quote young Bo Nix. So that's fun, even though Cook is draft eligible one year younger than Bo Nix, significantly less talented than Bo Nix. But okay, sure, do whatever you can. Um, other than that, they're both SEC quarterbacks. So hey. Just a couple guys trying to make a play. <laughs> Just, you know, did varying levels of success. Sure, man. All right. Yeah, right. Whatever. Tough game to pick. I, I struggle with. I deleted probably my pick, I think, like three different times for this game. I did. I settled on Mizzou to win outright. I did. Um, again, <sighs> This is tough because there are a lot of elements of this team that just frustrate me. And offensively speaking, it just has not been there. And they have these little flashes, but over the course of 60 minutes, you just see the issues. And you, I could just hear Mizzou fans right now saying, that, like watching the tweets during this game, can't wait for Drink to get an offensive coordinator, all these different things. I close my eyes. I see all that. I really do. I just think Drink kind of needs this one badly. I do. It's 
a game in which you don't want to, if you lose this game, a very winnable game against Arkansas, you kind of look up and you're going into year four with a new boss. You didn't go to a bowl game. It looks like you're regressing a little bit. I, I just, I just kind of wonder, does this team with that defense, which has played really well and they played in all these close games, finally kind of get one to go their way. I think it's Mizzou who wins a 31 to 28 game on a Mevis field goal, the little redemption for our guy, the official kicker of the Saturday down South podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say this is quite a Toby Keith game. It's not maybe a little bit, a little bit Toby Keith, but not, not full on. You're not beating a top 25 team that nobody expected you to beat. You're a three point dog at home, like whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it has some of those vibes because you, you could clinch a bowl game with a victory, but yeah, I had a really tough time picking Mizzou to win and I'm very much going to regret this. I'm fading myself kind of in some ways. And then I guess not in others. Um, tell me I'm wrong. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> With pleasure. Uh, so here's the thing. This is going to sound really stupid, but here we are. We've talked about how, uh, you know, home field is such a, like a big deal in the SEC and our teams have looked different at home. Well, obviously Mizzou is at home for this one. Now, Arkansas might be the only team in the SEC that I think is like fully cold weather proof. I don't know if there's like a great point longitude situation there, but Sam Pittman is built for the cold. We've seen it. We've, his last two games have both been in freezing Arkansas. It's not like one of those things where you're playing at Florida and it's completely different from the cold. It's like, it seems like the colder it gets, the better this team plays. And they obviously have a great running game. And so that would kind of benefit, like, you know, it starts to get cold, your joints start to hurt. And again, you got to tackle rocket. And that's what I always get back to. And KJ is as far as we know, healthy. He obviously like, you know, and so he played through the last game, played well, not amazing, but enough to win. And so whenever they have that dimension of their offense, they're different. And I think like this would be a very interesting game to me if he was not healthy, because then you kind of have two offenses that look the same. Only difference is one would have their starting quarterback. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, you, you talk, we talk about these offenses that go East West, in this type of environment against that type of defense, I think they're going to have some success. And then the other end of it, you know, you got a shootout between KJ, even though he's a little bit banged up, you know, maybe he's not a dual threat, but he's at least a single threat versus Brady Cook, who is. Uh, Brady Cook is random pieces here and there in which he flashes signs of maybe one day figuring some things out. But for the vast majority of the time that he plays football, it's not there. There were a few plays in that Tennessee game where I actually started to feel bad for drink dialing mm-hmm. up some of these plays in which cook is overthrowing a guy. And you're just like, look, the scheme is there in this spot. And don't, don't get a twist of Mizzou fans. I'm not saying the scheme is there. They definitely need to hire an offensive coordinator. I'm fully on board with that. But mm-hmm. where, when you're not even being able to get that, I mean, that's why I think it's looked so bad this year is that you don't have somebody that can overcome a bad scheme. You don't. Brady Cook is not that guy. And there was hope that he would be that guy because he was more mobile than Connor Basilak. There was hope that he was going to be able to stretch the field a little bit more than they were last year. But that just hasn't been there yet. And so could be potential last game for Brady Cook as a starting quarterback. I'm just holding out hope that we can get Mizzou to be able to 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 win a game like this so that we can see Sam Horn in a bowl game. Is that too much to ask? A lot of a lot of Mizzou fans want to see them some Sam Horn. They really do. Yeah. I can't shout blame out them. to last year where they did like the shifting quarterbacks yep. in their book. Goodness, Brady Cook time. benefited from that. He sure did. Um, and then we all kind of lost. But point being, one guy that I 
really like and i want to shout out is matt landers of arkansas mm-hmm. um he really got it going like kind of in the middle of the year and he's caught all of his touchdowns like starting with the byu game he has six touchdowns since that game and he obviously torched lsu he had both of the receiving touchdowns against ole miss so that's a guy you know and i was thinking about you know what advantages as you have burden obviously is very good but i think right now landers is playing just as well as him so that that's that's my take they brought up a great point. Um, I think it was Tom that brought it up on, on the broadcast last week, talking about Matt Landers and how they had a production meeting one time wherein Jake Fromm said, just wait, because Matt Landers, of course, started off his career at Georgia. He transfers mm-hmm. to Toledo and makes his way to Arkansas. And in this production meeting, Jake Fromm said, this guy's going to take over the SEC. He's going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. And the, his problem at Georgia was that he had all these drops. And he's really kind of figured things out and become a much more reliable red zone guy for him. And he's not just the deep threat. He's not just the, oh, he's going to play play 15 to 20 snaps in a game. Maybe he's going to get you a 50-yard catch, and that's kind of all you get from him. He's really kind of developed into a more complete receiver, and they have needed him very much so and could play a pivotal role in a game like this. Definitely could. Like I understand. Like I'm joking a little bit too much about Brady Cook. I know my, my big thing is always like – I'm going to say this. I think every football team should be going towards something. And I think this current version of this Mizzou team, I just don't get it. Like, I think that the version of Mizzou that is a good football team doesn't look anything like this one. So in my mind, I'm just like, we got to get to the next thing. Whatever that thing is, it's new OC. I don't, I personally, me personally, and I, I bet Mizzou fans would almost kind of agree with me here. I, I, if you gave me the option of like, hey, you get to watch Mizzou in a bowl game and it could go the way it did last year, they'd probably be like, you know, We'll, we'll figure this one out in the offseason. Yeah, at the, at the same time, the best version of Mizzou when they first came to the SEC was having all these guys in the front seven, having mm-hmm. all these these great stud defensive oh, yeah. linemen. Shane Ray, those boys, they were nasty. Man. Michael Sam, like they they were oh, yeah. really really good up front, and so maybe you know they've kind of gotten back to that a little bit, but it's just been so frustrating because they they don't have the late game execution, and they obviously their quarterback situation is much different now than what it was then. So that's that's kind of the what's held them back, I think, in some of these key moments. But would be a monumental win for Mizzou to be able to get to a game get some positive vibes going into the offseason drink needs some of that all right speaking of a team in need of some positive vibes will uh, the florida gators friday night game friday night this, this is gonna be weird to see this on a friday night florida is traveling to tallahassee number 16 florida state minus nine and a half who would have thought that at this time of year LSU is going to be playing for an SEC championship. Florida State is the number 16 team in the country. No way we watched that game on Sunday night. Thought these two teams, those two teams rather, would be in this spot. Florida State playing really well. That's why they're nine and a half point favorites in this one. Jordan Um, Travis is the real deal, man. I got to give him some credit. I saw a graph today that said they had the best like explosive play differential, like offensive and defensive on both sides of the ball. That's a really good complete football team. And at the time, I thought that was a spine breaking loss because I thought that was going to be like a six and six typical FSU team that we've gotten used to post Jimbo. This is actually a pretty good team. It's not just some random ACC team. And timing is everything, right? Timing is everything. Timing in the LSU game told us that the game was going to go one way and it was, it didn't turn, it did turn out to be a very sloppy game. And we're going into this one with a much different impression than say Anthony Richardson, which leads me to my over under Mm -hmm. one reference to Anthony Richardson's guarantee. Not sure if you saw this one, Will, but uh, if you didn't see the quote from Nick De La Torre, uh, Richardson said, when we win this one, it will definitely build momentum for us. <sighs> All right. It keeps getting served to me on a platter, and I keep just saying, no thanks. I'll let you go. Um, You know who has momentum right now? The team riding four consecutive blowout victories. You know who doesn't have momentum right now? The team who just lost to Vandy. I get it. You want to have confidence. You want to talk about, you know, willing these things into existence. I get all that. I totally understand it. But 
maybe not your place because you kind of missed out on your chance to be the ultimate good vibes team in college football as rewarded on the Saturday Down South podcast. Easy way that he could have tweaked that quote, just say simply, we're going to do what we can to win this one and build some momentum. That quote doesn't see the light of day. We're not talking about it on this podcast. I'd argue it essentially says the same exact thing, but instead you put yourself out there. And now for Anthony Richardson, it's time to put your money where your mouth is. Florida State, number 13 scoring defense in in the country. There is not a power five team in America allowing fewer points in the month of November than Florida State. 7.7 points per game they allowed in the month of November. That is pretty darn good. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be a touch more challenging than the Vandy defense that you trail all day and consistently shut you down on third down. Speaking of third down, one, one team from Florida has been really good there. One team has it. You want to take a guess which one that is, Will? Oh, I know it's FSU has been good. I felt like I was in the twilight zone watching Jordan Travis every third oh, down man. against LSU. It was like he must have been like 10 for 11 on third down. Don't look that up. But I felt every it was like third down. Was, oh, my goodness. Who is this guy? Yes, didn't matter. <laughs> did it all. Would hang in the pocket, would roll out, would make plays with his legs. He did it all. That's why they're six in the country in third down conversion percentage. Number three in America in the month of November in that category. Florida, on the other hand, bit of an issue all year. 57th in the country, a shade under 40% conversion rate on third down. That's not good. Why is that so important for Florida in this game? Gators have those depth issues on defense. They need to have some long drives, especially early in this game, because Ventro Miller is serving that targeting suspension. So he's not going to be available until after the break. Florida's goal should be to do what, what Kentucky was able to do against Georgia. What I mean by that, Georgia only had three offensive possessions in the first half. They played really well in the red zone. All of those drives ended in field goals. That's the best chance. That is the path to victory for Florida in this football game. You probably need to be able to run the ball too as well, which they weren't able to do surprisingly against Vandy last week. Do I think Florida follows that path? Case can't tell, I don't. I don't. That was a setback, man. That was a real, real setback. Florida State's a better team right now. They are. There's no denying that every Florida fan from coast to coast would would agree with that notion. And if they're not, I I don't know what they're watching. It's as simple as that. Jordan Travis, as you mentioned, tough as hell, man, just built like iron. I still can't believe that guy survived the alligator hit. I can't believe it. I mean, one of the I I don't know if we have seen a quarterback take a lick like that all year. Don't know. And, And he played the rest of the game. (laughs) <laughs> didn't even matter play didn't even yeah <laughs> not oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna have like a you know five minutes he's gonna have backup coming no 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 no. i'm good Th- through a touchdown pass no big deal just keep playing football whatever we're gonna find a way to win this game um he's 12th in the country in quarterback rating only thrown four interceptions all year he is so dangerous with his legs as you brought up he is turned himself into a really good player and a much different guy than what i think florida saw in this game last year i think florida state forces florida into some mistakes we know that trailing is a death sentence for this florida team get this you're gonna love this stat you're gonna you're gonna want to tweet this out and probably when florida falls behind like 14 nothing in this game okay games in which anthony richardson throws 25 passes florida's one in five games in which he throws less than 25 passes five and oh makes sense Problem the ball, as we said last week, major key to Florida's success. We could just fill that one into the sidelines. That would be massive because they have some dudes that can run the ball. They have several of them. Yeah. 
maybe, maybe Trevor Etienne me- needs more than four carries. I- I'm not an expert, but maybe that's just a thought. I realize he only had nine yards of those four carries, but kind of tough to get going if you never get the football. Mm-hmm. Four State, top four nationally in passing yards per attempt allowed and passing yards per game allowed. So that doesn't set up very well. This is a bad matchup for the Gators. Simple as that. Bad, bad matchup. I think Florida State rolls in this one. I think they win this by three touchdowns. I really do. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm really high on Florida State. I obviously not as high on Florida. I think that I mean you, we've kind of seen my take on all this. I don't want to like beat it into the ground, but yeah. And and, and really quick to the point about Travis and the Ali Gay. It's like I told you, I didn't even see that in the stands because he threw a dime of a touchdown pass. Yeah, and that was what I was. My eyes were on the touchdown. And so yeah, point being, it's like usually Florida their advantage, right, is that they have a quarterback who is a dynamic athlete who can do all those different stuff. Well, Florida State has an efficient version of that same guy. He's not quite the athlete than Anthony Richardson is, but he's a little bit mature. He's a little bit more of a quarterback, and that quote speaks to it right there it's like travis kind of gets what being a quarterback is and richardson is kind of a football player and we've talked about with different guys throughout the year and so hopefully this offseason in the system will help mature him but you know this is just one of those things where you you know norvell's been there for several years you know what i'm saying this is a, a system of guys that have all been together for a while and you know if you remember uh mckenzie milton from ucf i thought he was going to win that job last year and travis snatched it Same. from him and he's and that's kind of how they got going uh with the whole <laughs> shout out to them almost beating notre dame last year by kelly almost throwing his team under the bus that was the time but point being like since he's taken over it's been kind of a different team since they've put in their identity so that's the thing is it's not necessarily this projects anything going forward it's just that one team is deeper into theirs their journey you could call it you say anthony richardson come back develop in the system Mm, might be 50 50 might be 50 50 whether or not he goes to the nfl yeah just man just saying i personally he's very high on my list of guys that i would like to see come back he is. He absolutely is. And I think he needs it. And I think I even did a breakdown of his his total pass attempts compared to some of the guys who are one-year starters that, mm-hmm. that left for the NFL. You know, a Mac Jones, a Dwayne Haskins, a Kyler Murray, um, even you know, Trey Lance is, is one of them. But that's a little bit different because it's FCS level. But mm-hmm. it's still just not there in terms of that he needs reps. He needs yeah. reps. It's as simple as that. And he has not had the passing reps just yet. I realize they're trying to get him those. But the tough thing is when they try and get him those – Florida ends up losing these games. A lot of it's game flow. I realize that, but man, I think if Florida has any chance to win this game, it's running the football a whole lot. That's, that's gotta be the key. Gotta make this a different style game. In my opinion. I mean, that that's pure. Like I, fully feel like that would be a bad decision and maybe i'm wrong maybe richard ends up on like the niners or something and it all works out for him but that's like one of those guys where it's like you need to have people that because like i said i still think billy napier is a good qb developer he had a great qb play at ul he like i think that it just takes him a little bit of time to break all the bad habits and it's a completely different system than they were just running so it's like it would be wild to me if you have a free year where you can still get nil money you can still be in these big situations and it's like I mean, I, I understand that can go the other way and then you could get like, quote unquote, exposed. But at the same time, it's like, buddy, uh, the time to figure that out is like not, in my opinion, the NFL, because there's, <laughs> you know, that, that I think that his best path to future success is to stay with Billy Napier, because I do think Billy Napier can help him more than random NFL coach. You've seen it with Justin Fields, you know, they got there and they had a dude who didn't get it. And finally, now he gets it. But I don't know that Richardson, where he'll get drafted, is going to have that type of leash that Fields did. Yeah, and and to, to be fair, Fields had two years as as a starter, and mm-hmm. had those throwing reps, and did it at a very high level, 
And I mean, we saw what he did in that Clemson game. I mean, he was just magnificent. Oh. He was unbelievable that day with a rib injury and dealing with all that. Whereas like Richardson's in a, just in a much different spot with where he's at in his career. And I'd love to see him come back, become a millionaire once again, because <laughs> he became a millionaire with NIL money this year. You saw the graphic from on three. And yeah, mm-hmm. I would love to see him have that opportunity, kind of be the guy and develop into the system a little bit more. Okay. South Carolina going to Clemson. Going to the other Death Valley. We're not going to say the Death Valley. All right. We're not doing that. Are we allowed to say the other Death Valley? It blows my mind. It looks like it's like a JPEG from the 90s. They, they look like bootleg Albert. They, I, I don't like anyway. The Death <laughs> Valley thing gets to me. All of it. It's like they've taken something from every SEC team and they're just like, and here's our team, guys. Including Tigers. Yeah. Yes. There's not enough Tigers in, in the sport. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yes. Clemson is a 14 and a half point favorite. The overrunner, I have six references to the Tennessee game. It's funny. Clemson is the one competing for a playoff spot. South Carolina is the one coming off its best home win in a decade. Got me thinking. When was the last time that Clemson beat a top five team at home? Just top five team at home. Remember at home. Oh, yeah, because they would need to play them out of conference, essentially, because they, oh, no. Was it FSU? It wasn't. So I'm like going back and I'm like, I'm finding all these times in which they, 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 they have a lot of top five wins in recent memory. I'm not saying that right. I mean, 2020 ACC championship against Notre Dame. That's their last one. 2019, they beat Ohio state in the semifinal, but it was a game that Ohio state got robbed. They should have had a defensive touchdown. It was taken off the board. 2018, they beat Bama like a drum in the national championship. Yeah. Also beat not Notre calling Dame them frauds, just saying the ACC just doesn't have a lot of top five teams. Yes, exactly. And to here, so here's my point. Last time Clemson beat an AP top five team at home, was the incredible Deshaun Lamar game 2016. Great oh, game. Oh, wow. What a game. That is Clemson's only win against a top five team at home in the playoff era, which is wild to think about, right? With all the big games that Clemson's played in, only win at home against the top five team in the playoff era. It also speaks to how bad the ACC is because, well, guess how many times they've had a top five team at home at Clemson in the playoff era? Yeah, I was going to say the Notre Dame one, I believe, was at Notre Dame. And so, like, they literally just <laughs> – and, and, yeah, no, I don't – I can't imagine another top five team that's been there. What's that? One. Yeah. One. That's it. That's that's it. Um, I say that not to troll Clemson. I don't, I don't try and do that. In it's South a fact. Yeah, like, I'm really racking my brain trying to think of who was that team. Yeah, um, but that's it. Just the, the one Louisville game. That That's all they've had. So I'm not trying to troll Clemson. South Carolina is not coming into this as a top five team. So you might be scratching your head going, what, what's your point? You have to soak in these moments if you're a South Carolina fan, right? And I have no issue whatsoever with South Carolina fans gloating all week leading up to this game, talking all the trash in the world, even if they get smacked against Clemson. Because if I'm a South Carolina fan, I am watching that game Probably every day. I'm just going to wake up, and if I need a little pick-me-up in the morning, I'm just going to throw on the 20-minute version of that game and watch every single time that South Carolina did anything of relevance in that football game because those don't come around often. Even when you're at the level of a program like Clemson that has done everything and more than any college, college football fan could ever want in the latter part of the 2010s and the amount of success that they've had. So just... Don't necessarily don't let anybody tell you that you're making too big of a deal of that. That win was incredible, and you should soak in that because that is so rare to get. So listen, that's how I got through COVID. I was like, "What are we watching today, boys? The yep. Georgia game." I'm sure you've done that with the Cubs a couple of times. Like, oh, look, yeah. I'm feeling down today. We're watching that last out, buddy. 
I'm watching a little Giants NLCS. Or, or no, that was NLDS that we're watching. And they, they're able to come back in the ninth inning of that one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, sh- you should. You should appreciate these moments. So the question for this game, can lightning strike the same place twice? <laughs> That's what it's going to take, okay? Mm-hmm. Marcus Satterfield, can he one-up the game of his life by calling another game of his life? Because that's what it's going to take to beat Clemson for the first time in the playoff era. He's got the blueprint, being able to attack downfield with Juice Wells, Josh Van, get him involved. You can throw the football to Jaheim Bell. I've heard that does really good things for an offense. You can let DK Joyner occasionally get some snaps, use all three facets of the game with him. I think that there are... Chances for South Carolina to maybe pick their spots in this one. I do. The potential return of Marshawn Lloyd feels significant. Again, potential we're waiting to see as mm-hmm. of this recording. Don't fully know yet. But to me, as important as all that is important, all that is. I want to know if South Carolina South Carolina's offensive line can replicate the performance that they had last week because that Clemson defensive line is nasty. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Passing numbers. A little bit misleading. They're, they're 51st in the country in passing, so you might look at that and think, oh, Spencer Rattler, going to stay hot. <laughs> Lightning strike twice. Let's go. Um, more importantly, though, 16th in the country in yards per pass attempt allowed. Teams teams throwing the ball a lot against clubs. Okay, that's that's the way that things have worked this year. They've got Henry. They've got Murphy. They've got Brzee. That, that group is dangerous up front. Brzee coming off the strep throat that forced him to miss the Miami game. Maybe conditioning's a little bit down. Clemson just has dudes lined up everywhere. He's expected to be back in this one. That's my way of saying I don't think South Carolina's putting up 63 points again. Okay? Bold. I don't. <laughs> Bold and brash is starting early. <laughs> <laughs> this is an all-time matchup of, like, dudes we thought were going to change football. that just kind of haven't figured it out, isn't they're, it? <laughs> They're boys too, you know. That if you if you yeah. saw some of the quotes from Spencer Rather talking about DJ Oyungalale and how it's played out for him, you know, those two guys can relate to each other because they were sitting in the same spot going into the 2021 season, and they've had different paths. Obviously, DJ was given the chance to be able to stay at Clemson, and you know, there are a lot of places in which he would not have had that support from his head coach. They would have mm-hmm. gone to the younger, perhaps more talented player. And they have been able to kind of stick it out with him. And he's had some very up and down moments. The efficiency is just still not where you want with him. And he's not the player that we thought he could be in Rattler. It's been a lot more, a lot more valleys than peaks. I think we mm-hmm. could say last week was the peak of all peaks, the peak that I don't know that Spencer Rattler will ever get again in his football career, but he right. got it. And that's all that matters. I don't think he's going to have a peak quite like that. I didn't look at that as some massive turn the corner. He's about to live up to the Anthony triage hype train that he's created. Um, Look, that's a borderline like uncle Rico game where in like 30 years, he's going to be like, yeah, kids at Tennessee Vols right there. They were number five and your uncle threw six touchdowns against them. I don't blame him. I do the same thing. (laughs) I wish I could say I did that. That's awesome. Yeah. Living that forever. If you're Spencer rather Gamecocks haven't kept it within two scores at Clemson since 2012. That's that's tough. I'm going to say that Clemson's defense, they create a lot of short fields for DJ Uyungle. I'm going to say that they win 34-17. South Carolina is not able to cover. I'll say if, because it's a big if, it's a real big if, if Beamer ends Clemson's playoff hopes and ends that home winning streak, which is at 40, right? 40. That Beamer race is going to be huge. It's going to be real big. It's already going to be, he's going to get a good chunk. He's going to get a good chunk of, chunk of change here in a little bit. Will, 
Do you know the last team to win at Clemson? The last team to win at Clemson? Let's see. I guess Notre Dame won at home. Um, Honestly, no. What was it? You're going to kick yourself for this. You will. Oh, was it Georgia? 2016 Pitt. Of course. 2016 Narduzzi. Pitt. Yeah, Narduzzi. Narduzzi. And that was that must have been the uh, Kelly Bryant year. Uh, no, 2016 was still Deshaun. Oh, dude, still I'm, Deshaun. I'm all over the place right now. No, you're right. That was like, that wasn't even, that was like young Deshaun. What am I thinking? Yeah. Or like uh, before pre- he was like a senior. Yeah. No, pre- pre-draft Deshaun was 2016. He was there 2015, uh, started in 2014 and then late 2014. And then was the starter 2015, 2016. Okay. I think it's drafted in 2017. That was the Pat Narduzzi kick his kicker on the mouth game. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I have Thanksgiving brain. You're right. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, all right. Any, any other thoughts on that before we get to some clean old fashioned hate? No. Yeah. I, I think you're about right there, man. That game being in comes in does make it a lot less winnable for South Carolina. We saw a lot of the good things that they did. And, and like we talked about, you know, it's about having fun. And I think that that's when South Carolina is their best. Clemson obviously cannot have fun and do with really well. Whereas like South Carolina needs to be loose, relaxed, not thinking too hard. And if both of these teams, if South Carolina gets into that turtle mode, it, that that's kind of the issue here, right? Because we're talking more, more, more about the point spread than the win in this situation. And I, that's what I'm debating, but I still feel like Clemson with the playoffs in sight. Like that's what I was talking about with Dabo. It's like, I've always respected Dabo as a football coach. That's where the end of my respect gets. It's as the minute he steps off of the field, that's where it ends. But I've always respected him as a coach when he's in these situations where he knows he needs to win. He's usually very good. Um, and yeah, like I said, I mean, Sandstorm obviously doesn't hit the same on the road. So I think that South Carolina has their couple of big wins this season. They don't need a fourth one. You know, they don't need Kentucky, A&M, Tennessee, and Clemson. It would be nice, but that would almost put them to good vibes. Maybe they need to step back a little bit, know themselves, and not really, because then we're talking about being more the grill, perhaps, and we're really getting yeah. some new territory there. A lot of Soldier Boy would be played if they won this game. A yeah. whole lot of Soldier Boy. You say Clems, Clemson so much better than I do. So much better. <laughs> I always get criticized for how I say it because I, I say it the way that it's pronounced. And I'm I, I, there, was, there was a video I can't remember who who had it on Instagram of like, so so say Clemson, just say Clemson, mm-hmm. Clemson. Okay, where's the P? Why do you say the P? Clemson. And I think you have the actual proper pronunciation. And I've been saying for the record, I'm literally wearing a Horace Grant shirt right now. And I have mm-hmm. been saying Clem Clem since I was able to talk so I, I know a thing or two about clemson all right mm-hmm. i do but it was clem clem for me growing up so maybe that's why i don't say the the clemson or clemson just well that's almost talk. a southernism right that's probably the most southern thing you do is how you say clemson so i just embrace it really i i don't i i, I refuse to say with a p i can't do it clemson clemson no. clemson all right georgia tech georgia georgia's a 36 and a half point favorite gosh that's a massive massive spread the over under i have is 0.5 40 yard passes to brock bowers he has two catches on the year of 40 yards stetson has four total completions of 40 yards that's not great that's not great got another note on that that over hammer that over for this game could be um two of those four passes of course um, were ridiculous Brock Bowers catches. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Two of those others came uh, for Stetson in the first quarter of the Tennessee game. Brock has as many 40-yard catches as the rest of the SEC tight ends combined. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. He is a Blitnikoff semifinalist as a tight end. Not easy to do. Very not easy to do. And if you think that's not fair, go back and watch that play against Georgia Tech last year and tell me that dude shouldn't qualify for receiver awards. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's- 
He's fine. He checks out. That's the crazy thing too about him is like people go like, oh, well, you know, maybe he took a step back this year, whatever. It's like you got like you got to think about what a tight end is in college and how few reps they have to actually catch the ball, and then realize his numbers are so ridiculous compared to every other tight end. Like, yeah, there you can compare him to some like air raid receivers, and it's like, oh, yes, okay, no, think about what he does and how great he is at it. Yes, he will not probably lead. I think Michael Mayer is going to end up leading the the country in terms of tight ends, tight end receiving yards, and all that. But still, the things that he's able to do over the course of a game and the degree of difficulty of his catches, where you can line him up, the fact that he actually likes blocking, all those different things. Yes, um, we will continue to bang the drum for Brock Bowers all day, every day. I'm going to be honest. I thought that spread was a little bit high. Georgia Tech just upset UNC as a 21-point underdog. They just they might have ended Drake May's Heisman campaign. They were held scoreless in the second half of that game. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Georgia Tech's like a roll. I mean – some some are saying that Gene Chizik's defense needed a little bit more help in the second half of that game. Some are saying, I'm just throwing it out there. All right, um, just saying, 21 points. You know, that's not insurmountable. They should they, the the offense really let them down there, and that's why they lost. They had a drop with like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Guy had a walk in touchdown and just fell right out of his hands. You're like, all right, what 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 are we doing here, UNC? Mm-hmm. They sacked Drake May six times, Georgia Tech did. He was mm-hmm. just a little off all game. He was. I don't think that the Georgia offensive line is quite as vulnerable as UNC's. They've been really good protecting Setson Bennett this year. I would still probably expect a more ground-heavy approach from Georgia in this one. I think that favors Georgia considerably, and that's probably why that spread is what it is. It's not a vintage Georgia rushing attack because they don't have that future first-round guy, but they're still averaging nearly 200 rushing yards a game, and they're averaging 5.4 yards per carry. It's what has allowed them to continue to build these leads. They shouldn't have any problem building a lead, even though there's obviously potential SEC championship next week, and then you're like, oh, yeah, but they've been in this spot each of the last four times that they face Tech. That is, playoff chances alive, Going into this game, Tech has yet to keep it within 30 points in any of those games. So I'm not really worried about that. I was really tempted, really tempted to say that Georgia Tech's going to cover. Georgia only wins by four touchdowns. But then I remember that I'm not even allowed to think Georgia is mortal at all. So I'm going to say dogs by 40. <laughs> Listen, last week we said Georgia was going to win by 30 points. Okay, y'all want to cut that one out and put it on the podcast because we thought they were going to destroy Kentucky and get 10 sacks. Okay, don't if you're going to cut out the Tennessee stuff, cut out the Kentucky stuff too. All right, keep those. We're wrong about we're wrong on both sides. <laughs> don't you worry. We're equal opportunity offenders. All right, don't think we have an agenda. Our agenda is just the anti truth. Um, also, listen, if you're a Georgia wide receiver and you feel the need to swing on any DBs heading into the SC championship game, this is your time. You know, this is called, Great point. Is, you know, it, this is really when you want to uncork one, you know, because the refs will be looking in the, in the LSU game couldn't possibly hurt you. never has before. So just make sure this is the game. You really want to get that frustration out anyway. No, I'm hundred percent with you this. Yeah. This is the best Georgia take has looked all year, but they still look nothing like Georgia coach is obviously gonzo. They're just kind of doing their thing. So I don't think this is the time. I mean, that would, easily be the most chaotic one of the year but i just don't i don't think it's going to be close and like we're talking about the spread i think georgia wins um i think georgia wins comfortably and that's all that really matters if georgia tech wins this football game just throw out whatever playbook you have for the rest of the college football season just yep. truly I have a loss of regular season game in over two years 36 and a half point favorite that's we know nothing if that happens okay let's just flip a coin from here on out because that's essentially what college football will have turned into if that happens i don't think that happens in this one louisville 
Kentucky. Kentucky's a two and a half point home favorite. The over under I have 0.5 rushing touchdowns for Will Levis. Might be thinking, wait, didn't Will Levis have four rushing touchdowns in this game last year? Was he throwing the L's, upside, throwing the L's down? Hey, he loves that, man. Once he got a hold of that, it was like, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> He's, you think horns down, people like to throw that. Will Levis likes throwing the L's down more than anybody likes throwing horns down. Okay. Oh, yeah. We, we saw that. He was unbelievable in this game last year as a runner. I mean, he oh, really, really was. That was his peak. He had he had one of one of the, the best run that you'll see all over his NFL draft stuff was that hurdle and truck a dude and still like find a way to gain 20 yards on this play. And you're just like, who is this guy? What is he doing right now? For those who don't understand the Will Levis love, go back and watch the Louisville game from last year, or watch the highlights from it, and you will see why that love exists and why so many people are high on him. Maybe being able to have a role in the NFL as an early starter. Um, the problem, though, we know that he's not at his peak as a runner. He's not. He mm-hmm. hasn't had a rushing score, Will, since week three. That's like over two months ago. It's, that it's is forever. such a freaking good point because that was the scariest thing we saw in the LSU game in 2021. That is the scariest version of Will Levis is the one that can uncork one for 50 yards or take off on you. That's a very like scary, scary player. And to your point, he's gotten so injured. We talked about it in the last podcast where, you know, he's had his hands, his rib, every part of him. He's like the Kobe injury diagram they put up back yeah. in the day. Like every part of him is hurt. And so it's like when you start to lose that and the offensive line, it's like he's so when he gets one dimensional, that's when he has problems. So like that actually makes me feel a little bit better as his prospects going forward because you're right that was the reason why he was different is that he was mobile he was tough and he had a cannon right now he just kind of has a cannon and like can't really play his feet yeah and he's he's fallen into some bad habits i'm, I'm not going to totally dismiss his play and i still think he holds on to the football too long we've been pretty vocal about that and with an mm-hmm. offensive line like that you just can't and it's a little bit difficult for true freshman receivers to get separation in this league all those different things but he's only had two games with positive rushing yards since that week three game wow. one of those though last week against Georgia. He had a season high 26 rushing yards. Watch out now. Yeah. So he's getting going. And part of that is the sack numbers get counted against you for yeah. rushing as a quarterback. So that's definitely a part of that. But he's also the lack of design runs. It's been a very well-documented issue in Lexington, the way that Rich Scangarello has used him. And some have been very frustrated that they haven't had the design runs that they had last year with Liam Cohen. So the question is whether Levis and what could be, I'm not saying it will be, but what could be his last game in a Kentucky uniform, is he going to leave it all on the table? We know that he hates Louisville with a passion. <laughs> he really does. Uh, we also know that he's very highly regarded by next level scouts, regardless of what you or I or anybody listening to this podcast says negatively about Will Levis. Kind of matters is what what the next level people think about him because they're mm-hmm. the ones who are going to be dictating what that salary looks like. We just watched Hendon Hooker tear his ACL, right? Yeah. Levis has never been the dial it back guy, even as he's dealt with these injuries. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's one thing to be hampered and he's kind of recognized, look, he's not as fast. He's not as powerful, but dialing it back for him is just, Oh, I'm going to be throwing out of the pocket more and I'm okay. Holding onto the football, even if it means taking more hits. And he has done that sometimes to Kentucky's detriment, but the, the lack of design runs, in my opinion was, you know, Rich Gangrello realizing, I don't really have depth at quarterback. I don't. The quarterback situation sucks. And Levis can be incredibly tough. But if he tears his ACL, our season's over. It, it is. We saw that South Carolina game. It was terrible. 
they don't have an offense if Will Levis isn't on the field. So it's trying to manage that, trying to run on turf toe. You, it leaves you exposed to other injuries. And it, it is just, I think it has hurt him and it has, it has kind of forced him to develop some bad habits. But maybe, maybe he says, screw it. It's Louisville. I don't care. We're going to empty the tank. That's what we're going to do. Stoops already has a bowl game locked up. He's already got a fat new contract. <laughs> Very fat. Yeah. My God. That bump in, in base pay, he's getting $8.6 million in base pay starting next year, plus all those incentives that we talk about all the time, which is still mm-hmm. like, win a bowl game. Here's $250,000. Get an extension. Like, best contract in America, Mark Stoops. Yeah. Got even better. I don't know how, but it did. Weird timing of that, too, because it was agreed upon before Vandy, and then they didn't announce it until after the Vandy game. I don't know. Weird, weird situation. Well, then, um, and that's enough for us to just never have to talk about every job that opened. And he was never, I don't think he was ever really looking at other jobs, but like man. it feels like you, you don't think that's enough. You think he's still going to be thrown around? No, I mean, he, he's probably, he's probably going to get his name thrown around a little bit just because that's, if you're at a place like that, that's just the nature of the beast. It is. Yeah. I think there was maybe a little bit of that Nebraska speculation. Um, I think any sort of Florida state speculation went away with Mike Norvell having the second half that he has had and he is no longer on the hot seat. So, yeah, I mean, I get kind of, you know what? No, I I really don't get all the entire bump in base pay. (laughs) Sometimes you just feel like, Oh, they're just trying to get a win, trying to get a positive headline. I get it. He's your best coach ever. He's your winning most, you know, he's your winningest coach ever, but kind of after the season that they've had, I don't know. Mm. Just a little bit interesting to kind of see him. I I only say that because I worry that one day we could potentially talk about Mark Stoops like we talk about Kirk Ferentz. I worry a little bit. Yeah, no, I think he's much more at risk to be that guy than he is to be like, and I think in my opinion, this is my conspiracy, but I think this is probably a little bit related to the Kiffin stuff where it's like you see guys starting to look at other jobs and I bet the AD was just like, hey, let's figure this out so you're not the next guy to look after that. And so like, I, I, I've I, always thought that like Stoops is a perfect fit there. And I think like, and like I said, they have Stoops and Cal, two guys that are like kind of exactly what they need. And like some of the fans are like, oh, we need somebody younger or whatever. But in both situations, it's like your floor is super high and you're pretty much pretty close to your floor right now and it's still a pretty good football team you know you lost, i get it i get right now is a bad time to evaluate period because there are lots of emotions but i i think he'll be there for a while in my opinion now hey yeah be wrong, but I, I do too and look I, I think part of it is getting the extension out there ahead of the early signing period they've had very mm-hmm. vocal frustrations with their nil collective and those things and they're trying to get their ducks in the row with all that so i think that's definitely one of the things that has been been motivating them from that front as well. But um, as for this game, I'm picking Kentucky to bounce back, despite how disappointing the home slate has been this year with the loss to South Carolina and Vandy. Kentucky has kicked the crap out of Louisville lately. I mean, big time blowouts in this game. And Louisville, on the other hand, they're playing really well. They won five out of the last six. Their only loss in that stretch was against Clemson at Clemson, 15-point game. But, 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 Malik Cunningham – has been totally flustered against Stoops' defense, which I think explains why that spread is what it is. Despite the fact that I think without a doubt, Louisville has been the better team for the latter half of the season. So I'm going to take Kentucky to win 28 to 17 and say, this game is just kind of a throw out what we've seen the last month and just go a little bit more with recent history, which I don't really like to do that, but I think that makes a little bit of sense for this one. Yeah, personally, I'm I'm going with Louisville. I think that to your point, they've been really hot. And you're like, if you know, if you lose 
against Clemson of the ACC. It just kind of is part of life. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like Bama of the SEC. It's like, you can't really totally measure yourself. If you're hot, you lose to Bama. It's about that next week. It's not really about that week. So point being, they lost to Clemson. They bounced back, beat NC State. So in my mind, I think where Kentucky's at right now, and I understand, again, home field, it's at Kroger Field, big deal, I know. But at the end of the day, I mean, they look Is up, it though? That's yeah. what I was about to say. Like, I don't know. So if you look at kind of where Kentucky's at, and I think that like Will Levis is – like almost to your point, detrimentally invested. Like he's definitely not a checked out guy, but they're kind of at this point in their season where it's hard to find. Like it's like their identity has gotten more convoluted as the year has gone on. Where to your point for Louisville, it's very simple. It's like, you know, yeah. if he could just get going, that's it. That's all they need. And in Kentucky, you know, it's maddening because they'll do good things in game. Like we talked about their line played really well last game. Didn't ultimately matter. Like they they'll they'll be good and bad for different reasons. And they're just too inconsistent, I feel, to stop a team like Louisville that has everything going their way right now. Yeah, uh, definitely could see a wide range of outcomes for that yeah. one. That would be a really good game. Tennessee, number nine team in the country. They fall to after the devastating South Carolina loss. Traveling to Vandy. Vandy's a 13 and a half point underdog. Mm-hmm. I put this wrong in the notes. Vandy's a 13 and a half point underdog. The over-under I have five Joe Milton passes that have 60 air yards. Yes. <laughs> Bazooka yeah. Joe. Let's go. It's a bummer. Absolute bummer. We did not know. We didn't know at the time of the recording on Sunday that Hendon Hooker was going to be out with a torn ACL. We thought it was going to be serious. Very likely that he had played his last game in a Tennessee uniform. Sure enough, that's what it is. Just a total, total crushing blow to see him go out like that. I hope he gets a fair shot in the pre-draft process because now he's got three things working against him with the injury, the unique scheme, the age, all those different things. I just hope that guy gets a fair chance because he was so easy to root for. But with this game. The presence of Bazooka Joe. Oh, yes. It makes this game a whole lot more interesting against the red hot doors. They are red hot. Will, do you know how hot they are? This is a stat. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. They're one of three SEC teams riding a conference winning streak of at least two games. That list is Georgia, LSU, and Vandy. That's it. That's all. Kings. Wow, two champions of uh, their divisions, and then one champion of you know life. the locker room. Yeah, champion. I was say champion of life because that's that's the rivals. You can't give yes. them the rocket fuel. No, no, you got to make your own thing. I guess, I don't know what I need more from Clark Lee. I need him to talk more so I could be more familiar with him. But I don't know I don't we, we need that. that. I don't know that we need that. No, I just let the play do the talking. He's not my favorite quote to listen to. It was cool, I know, seeing him but get it's emotional. like a meme. I love it. Like he's yeah. like anti-good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's so bad that he's good. Yes, <laughs> maybe a little bit. I came here today to deliver the good word about Joe Milton, a guy that we've been very critical of, but I've got some fun Joe Milton stats for you. In 33 pass attempts this year, he has completed 23. Of those 23 completed passes, six of them went for at least 40 yards. That is more than Jaden Daniels. That is more than KJ Jefferson. It is more than Stetson Bennett, and it is more than Will Rogers. He's averaging 17.4 yards per attempt, 21 yards per completion, and his quarterback rating is 275.6, which I didn't even realize was possible. (laughs) That's incredible. Joe Milton has as many touchdown passes this year as he had in 2020 and 2021 combined when he was QB1 to start the year at Michigan and then last year at Tennessee. I've got more for you. Joe Milton has not thrown an interception since November 14th, 2020. 
110 passes without an interception. That may or may not be, but definitely is because he throws the ball 150 miles per hour and maybe it's going to go 20 rows up into the stands. That's Bazooka Joe. That's what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. Josh Heupel has praised his improvement. So have we. How much has he really changed? Uh, we're going to find out. That's we're the best part. Out. We all get to find out together. <laughs> what I don't want to see is Milton in his first start since the beginning of last year look like he did at the beginning of last year. We, we don't want that, right? That was too frustrating. Or if he does, we at least get to do the thing where we go, wait a minute, he threw that football 80 yards. G- give us that, okay? Right. I, I, I want to do some math here and just marvel at his arm. I went back and I watched the throw that he had the other day, two minutes left against South Carolina, where he's drifting to his left. So he's not even stepping into the throw. And he threw it 62 yards to squirrel white. 62 yards. Mm-hmm. Even Baller was Baller on the broadcast was so taken aback by this during a 32 point game with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was amazing. I mean, this throw he just made it look so easy, just 62 yards, no big deal. Long Listen, live. If you was, don't love college football, I'll tell you why. In the middle of a blowout, you got a guy who goes by Bazooka Joe hitting a guy named Squirrel White in the numbers. Oh, and this is it. This is what we live for. It is. Long live Bazooka Joe. Long live Vandy. I'm not saying Vandy wins. I'm not saying that they win. But I am picking Vandy to cover 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. I wonder what Tennessee looks like after the humbling second loss that we talk about all the time, how important that is. Playoff dreams are gone. Your leader's done for the year. And on top of all that, there are all these rumors about the Jeremy Banks absence being related to a beef that the offense and defense had. Talking about NIL opportunities that Hendon Hooker was getting. And Josh Heupel didn't exactly refute that. If you kind of saw the comments that he made this week um, and why Jeremy Banks was unavailable for that game, just weird. But this is what we talk about with how you handle success in Tennessee. Moral story, Tennessee didn't handle success well. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's what this comes down to. That's why we're not talking about them as a playoff contender anymore. Be very interesting to see how they show up in this football game. I think Tennessee still has a lot to play for because if LSU suffers loss number three in the SEC championship, balls are 10 and two, who's going to the Sugar Bowl? Tennessee. Tennessee's going there. So mm-hmm. that'd be huge. That would be huge for this program. Vandy's pushing people around in the trenches. I absolutely think this one stays close. I think Joe Milton's yards per attempt is going to go down a little bit. Just Ooh, a little bit. 50 or nothing, Connor. Take it. Or leave it. <laughs> but I think he's going to make enough uh, Bazooka Joe throws to allow Tennessee to survive and escape Vandy. What a sentence that is. <laughs> So a couple more Bazooka Joe thoughts. Uh, so we were never necessarily anti. I was. Joe. I was. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me just let me finish. <laughs> we both thought Hinden Hooker was better. That was the key. Fair. We both from the jump were like, we just want Hinden Hooker to start. So it's not really that we have like a beef with Bazooka Joe. We both think he is a fun player, and I would argue, you know, they have the dude coming in the next recruiting class. Is like depending on where you look, he's a very highly recruited, Nico. highly rated recruit. Um, he's like in the top two or three quarterbacks he's a five-star across every service um but point being that guy's not gonna be ready next year probably you know so you're looking at a year hopefully of bazooka joe and this is the best receiver room like i mean tennessee's had some dynasties i'm not talking about tennessee history or anything but times i've seen with my eyes this is one of the best receiver rooms i've ever seen in in my life that i've seen with my eyes you know we've seen bama we've seen lsu this receiver room is right there with those guys you're talking about brew mccoy being the third best receiver on the team and so point being you want these guys to get reps with Bazooka Joe because a quarterback like that, that struggles a little bit, that can't exactly put the throws right on the money. Those, those 
receivers could almost make Brady Cook look good. Like those receivers are so good. You put them all around them. They're all huge. They're fast. They're physical. I mean, so you want to get, I mean, that's the silver lining of the Hendon Hooker injury is obviously, you know, it's horrible and that's your leader and I'm not taking anything away from him. But, you know, we talk about the future. At least you get some of these reps. You get to play Vandy. You know what I'm saying? So point being, I think that that is great for Tennessee's future that you get to see kind of what you have in the next game or two. And yeah, to your point, I mean, I don't, I've had made no bones about Tennessee beating LSU since this. I think that if, if and when LSU loses to, to UGA, they should absolutely deserve everything over LSU. The divisions are a little bit weird. I get it. But at the same time, like they've had a great season and the South Carolina game, obviously it didn't derail it necessarily. I personally think, and I bet you'd agree with this, the Hendon injury was probably worse. I mean, if they could have won the game, but Hendon be injured, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that would have been worse than losing the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, or that would be, like, like if you could have the win or Hinden, you would take Hinden is the way I'm trying to phrase that. So I, I think that they need a nice little steadying presence. But to your point, I do think there's going to be a back and forth game. But ultimately, you, know, you talk about those athletes, you talk about a dude who can uncork it um, and a team that has a lot to play for. And this is really going to tell you a lot more than anybody about Josh Heupel. I think you perfectly Good made point. that point, yeah. which is that this is a team that did not handle success well at all. They started looking like they were, I mean, <laughs> I they started acting like 2019 LSU without playing like 2019 yeah. LSU. They started like they had the swag and all this stuff. And that's up to Hypel to be the adult in the room and be like, guys, we this season could still go well or bad. This season is not over from any means because being a four-loss team and being a two-loss team are completely different teams. Go look at uh 2020 Florida. How quickly yeah. I mean they're if, if Tennessee loses this game, that'll, that'll be the comp. And you're kind of wondering like, man, you wasted a golden opportunity with an offense that was really special because all three of those top receivers are probably gone. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. probably off to the NFL. I'd be surprised if one of those, if, if McCoy Tillman or Hyatt came back next year, they're draft eligible. They could all be gone. Um, it's going to look different offensively this year to your point. Yes, I agree. If, if Joe Milton can, can show in this game, that improvement, that would be a big sign moving forward because he's a guy the rest of the year. You, you got to walk on as your backup in this game. You need him to look the part in this one. And who knows, maybe clinch a, a sugar bowl berth, which I think is a really big deal. The page, the pageantry that goes into that. And it's not the playoff. I get it, but still being able to go there would be a really important milestone for this program to get people to see them differently in a national light. They've done the Outback bowl thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. all right. That, that's not going to impress people. That's that's going to make people think, oh, you had this nice little cup of coffee. Welcome back to being Tennessee. This is a really pivotal juncture, a, a hurdle that they need to clear. Number five, LSU, nine and a half point favorite against Texas A&M. The over-under I have 0.5 references to cornflakes. Well, um, you know the quote I'm talking about. You know it. If you haven't seen this, Travis Brown he tweeted this before the UMass game. Actually, interesting. A&M receiver Jalen Preston said that they want to, quote, piss in LSU's cornflakes. Mm-hmm. I don't and know who's almost lost to UMass. Yeah. So, wow. Well, the whole story. It, <laughs> was, it was never in doubt. I know. I'm just but, kidding. But you yeah. at halftime, it was, come on now. Anyway. Uh, it was a little too close for comfort there. <laughs> I don't know who these sickos are who are out here pissing in, in another person's cereal. Sounds like kind of a waste of some good, perfectly fine cereal to me. I don't know. Um not sure why an average cereal is considered the prize. Okay. Yeah. Don't really get that. Personally, I would have been like, we're going to tip the bowl of their frosted flakes. That's sounds a lot better, right? Frosted flakes mm-hmm. are all on the floor. That's a bad day. You just had an entire bowl of frosted flakes tipped on your floor and now you can't eat them. Yeah, Somebody- that process is like a really weird thread, isn't it? <laughs> Did you say that? I've never thought about that phrase. 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's like the skin and cats thing. Just, just not fully on board with it. Um, <laughs> somebody does that to you. It's, it's not in popping, right? Those, those floors, those, those floor, uh, you know, frosted flakes are sitting there on your floor. You, that, that's a reason to be upset. Or okay. maybe like we're going to sneeze in their Hawaiian rolls. If we're talking about Thanksgiving. Just, that's a disaster. Now we're throwing hands. I disown the person who did that to me. That, oh, that yes. would not work. You know, it'd be better advice for AM here. Um, leave LSU cereal alone. Focus on maybe having an out-of-body experience because that's probably what it's going to need for that's probably what AM is going to need to be able to win this game. Uh, their in-body experiences have been a disaster this year. Really bad. UMass, as you mentioned, that was supposed to be the game that AM finally hit 30 points against an FBS team, but 10 points short of that. Didn't even come mm-hmm. close. AM's the worst team in the SEC. Simple as that. I'd pick Vandy to beat them on a neutral field. Vandy's not even the worst team in the SEC right now. Jimbo would need to hit way more than 30 points in this game to finish with a top 100 scoring offense this year, which is just crazy to think about. They rank 114th in America in third down conversion percentage. They rank 104th in yards per pass attempt. They rank 104th in scrimmage plays of 40 yards. But actually, if you take out the FCS games, AM ranks 118th in FBS in that category. And if you want to just focus on passing plays of 40 yards against FBS competition, AM has two of those all year. And the only team with fewer than those, fewer than that, Ball State, New Mexico. So yeah, AM's offense is hot garbage, which might actually be a diss to hot garbage. It might. You know what isn't hot garbage, Will? The LSU defense. Yeah. Matt House, very good. Royals Award semifinalist, meaning that he's one of the top 15 assistants in the sport this year. Also from the SEC, Alex Golish, Todd Munkin, Pete Lembo. Shout out to the special teams coordinator at South Carolina. They were the only others to make the cut. Confirmed, not hot garbage. Harold Perkins, BJ Ojolari. Very good. Not fun, probably, for an experienced quarterback to have to deal with them. Much less fun to be a true freshman like Connor Wiegman and having to navigate this. Okay? Not great. Don't like that. Yeah. Um, he was sacked three times by UMass. He was. Yeah. That's that's not great. Um, and I called him Wiegman. I meant Wiegman. Connor Wiegman. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I said that. All, all over the place in this one because I'm getting fired up. Even if Devon H. and Evan Stewart return in this game – I have zero confidence that AM's offense is going to pull South Carolina and essentially throughout the entire first part of the year and stun a top five team. I don't think any cornflakes are in jeopardy. I think LSU wins by 28, not a sleeper game for LSU. Yeah. So this is the, uh, the Scott Woodward uh, poison pill game, right? Because oh. if you remember back in the, uh, <laughs> back in the day, whatever LSU wound up, you know, hiring coach O and it was like, Oh, no one wants to go to LSU. Tom Herman's going to Texas, whatever. You know, they had that in principle agreement with Jimbo Fisher and then Scott Woodward, who was then the AD at Texas A&M stole Jimbo Fisher, brought him to A&M and then LSU ended up quote unquote with coach O won a national championship, went undefeated. And you know, Texas A&M is here. And so it's funny because that's one of those that at the time seemed like a great hire. Now, obviously, Scott Woodward has done something very similar and stolen Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. Um, and so this is kind of him getting to uh, to just see the whole process play out. You know, we talked about Mike Elko. It was like another thing that these guys have shared, um, the, the whole coaching tree that they both share. So there's a couple of things there. And these are two old coaches that have kind of 
that have been around a lot. They've been in similar circles. So it's going to be interesting to see them go back and forth um, for the first time. It's unfortunate. And I'm saying this seriously. It's unfortunate that this AM season has gone the way that it did because in the preseason, weirdly, this was a matchup I was very interested by for some of these reasons that these are two older coaches. You know, oddly, Jimbo's the one with the national championship. Ryan Kelly is the one who didn't have one. And so before he coached the game, it was like, okay, well, this is going to be a pretty good measuring stick. Obviously, it's not right now. Um, But to your point, yeah, I think that, you know, they, they, probably just handle business here. I don't think there's too much more to it. I think um, Jaden Daniels, you know, it came out that Jaden Daniels, Brian Kelly confirmed that Jaden Daniels had the flu in the Arkansas game. So that makes you feel way better as a Jaden Daniels supporter, because that was his one kind of off game since he started getting on a roll. So the LSU offense doesn't have a ton of questions. LSU defense is looking good. And yeah, I think that, uh, and them just kind of is what they are at this point. I feel like I told so many jokes about them. It's just not even going, it's not even worth going into. Do you still, this is the only question. Then we'll move on. Do you still feel like, you know, let's assume, let's assume they lose this game, but it's not slander. You know, obviously LSU's the, the, almost a double digit favorite. They lose this game. Uh, do you think that that buyout is too insurmountable still? It's because too that's, insurmountable. It's too okay. insurmountable. They're not paying that. Nope. Don't think you're paying 86 million bucks. Doesn't matter. Yep. That's Days one thing that, that you've said that you put me on and I, I agree with. And everyone on Twitter is like, there you go. They're about to buy him. I was like, dude, you can't. You're under this albatross of a contract. So, and, you know, to that notion, Brian Kelly had like a 4-1 season too. So maybe they will get back to 8-4. and four yeah. and Maybe that is good enough for right. AM. Like, maybe this is the one, like, maybe they do figure it out. Higher in OC. We've heard that a ton this year. So I'm not going to dump on AM. They're, they've been a respectable team for a minute here. I am just, I hate to say it, looking forward to the SC championship game and hoping <laughs> to not be clutching my chest watching this game. Let's, let's talk about the Iron Bowl here. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one of the more intriguing games of the weekend, despite not having the typical stakes and obviously any iron bowl is fascinating, but just very different in, in a couple of regards here. Uh, Auburn is a 22 and a half point underdog in Tuscaloosa, number eight, Alabama, the over under, I have 0.5 clips shown of Cadillac Williams opening the 2003 iron bowl with his 80 yard touchdown run. Mm-hmm. You got to show that have to show that I would think in this one, I remember talking to Tuberville about that a few years ago. And he told me that play exemplified a healthy Carnell Williams. Mm-hmm. He's healthy and he's living <laughs> his best life right now. So oh, this, yes. this game could exemplify a healthy Cadillac Williams. And if you don't think that he's going to have the lads fired up, you haven't been paying attention. Auburn's going to throw it all out there. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. They're going to go forward on fourth down. We got halfback passes out here. Shout out to Jarquez Hunter. That was amazing throwing catch that he was able to pull off in that one. He's got as many touchdown passes as Robbie Ashford since Cadillac got the job. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. They've totally abandoned the passing game for the last three weeks, which I support because it's made them a better team. (laughs) They got tank. They got Robbie Ashford. Those are two guys who can run the football. The the passing numbers are so bad. They're really bad. Well, Ashford has completed 21 of 54 passes for 234 yards. He's completing 39% of his passes in the last three games for 4.4 yards per pass attempt. And yet, Auburn's playing the best football of the year. Not Mm -hmm. even debatable. In the month of November, which is when Cadillac took over, Auburn averaged 259 rushing yards per game. That's fifth in America. What a concept. You've got all these great running backs. Just run the football. Commit to it. Maybe this is Cadillac's last game coaching at Auburn. There's a fairly good chance of that. It's bowl or bust for Auburn in this one. Those guys are going to treat this game like it's their Super Bowl. And I get it. It's Alabama. It's the Super Bowl every year. This one's going to be a little bit different for them going on the road into Tuscaloosa. The question is whether or not that will matter. We Mm -hmm. always say you can't be one-dimensional on offense when you go against Nick Saban or when you go against Kirby Smart. And I don't think Alabama sleepwalks through this game necessarily 
First Iron Bowl since 2007, in which there won't be a team with one or zero losses. That's crazy. That's how good this game has been. That's why we talk about it in such high regard. But I think Bama has shown that it's still fighting. It's still competing. If they lose this one, it's not going to be, oh, they just weren't interested, whatever. It's like we've had two weeks of them not being in playoff contention anymore, and they've been able to show up for both of those games. If they don't show up for Auburn, it's because Auburn played better 60 minutes of football. Simple as that. I think Auburn's going to make them prove that. Prove that you want to be out there with the volume that they're going to run the football. Speaking of running the football, Jason McClellan has been making a really strong case to be the guy. If Jameer Gibbs is off to the NFL at season's end, wouldn't surprise me. He's getting all the, the, the Alvin Kamara comps. Those are going to be there for him probably, which like Alvin Kamara gets a lot of people. Like a lot of people compare backs to Alvin Kamara, in my opinion, too many, but Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. That, that makes a little bit more sense. I'm a little bit more on board with that. Um, but if he is not out there, that is Gibbs, who's coming off the ankle injury. Saban seemed optimistic that he's going to return. We'll wait and see about that. But I think McClellan could have a big day against an Auburn run defense, which ranks 106 in yards per rush allowed. But in November, since Cadillac took over, Auburn's run defense is actually 11th in the country. It's crazy to think about with how bad they were in October. That tells you a lot about how different this Auburn team is with Cadillac. The trenches play, the effort, it is totally different. Guys are playing for them. I think we get a thriller. I do. I really do. I think we get a low-scoring game, 24-21, Alabama wins. I think just barely one more time, Bryce Young saves the day. How do you see this playing out? I, I want to believe that so badly. This is just one of the, like, I've said it a couple of times. I wish we had the the um the Buffalo Wild Wings button, but, like, instead of overtime, we could put a, a one, like, change the home field. If this game was at Auburn, I would be so down with an Auburn upset. I just feel like, because we talked about the issue over and over and over again with Bill O'Brien and that offense is on the road. Every single time it feels they've struggled has been on the road. And obviously, you know, Auburn with Cadillac, they really fed off that home crowd as well. I know I've been making this point all day. I get it. But it's especially true. You can delete the rest of them from your mind and only remember this one is that Alabama is a radically different team at home. And I think that the whole like, oh, Alabama has looked beatable this year. It's been against it's been at Tennessee and at LSU, two formerly top five teams or top six or seven teams, depending on which rankings you were looking at. So point being, I think that, uh, yeah, I I, I see Alabama winning this one comfortably just because of that. I think that Auburn still has enough holes Mm. into your point about they're just a little bit one-dimensional and we talked about these coordinators coaching for their jobs and the guys like and obviously last year you know they had finley who is as we've discussed kind of zero dimensional i get that but again it's just a little bit different when you get bill o'brien on the road it never makes any sense like it never we've we're at that point now where it's like i was dumb to think that lsu was going to get blown out by bama on the road because they're not blown out but like it would bama would like because it was a 13 point spread and that's what made me question it i was like oh what's going on here i think at this point we gotta accept that for whatever reason bama is a good to great team at home and a kind of mid team on the road but luckily this game is at home and so yeah I, i think that you know you have Robbie Ashford, who's not super experienced as a quarterback. You have Cadillac, who's not super experienced as a coach. I want to be a guy who's like, I would love, like, I will be rooting for this for Auburn to keep this game close, but I can't in good conscience pick Auburn to do that. You know, I think it was this was the most split we've been on picks. Yeah. No, this might be. Yeah, listen, crazy. If we split every pick. We can't both be wrong. That's a great point. <laughs> People showing up to the pod. You got you idiots like after Tennessee, Georgia, man. No, a little bit different when we're just hedging on all these picks. Yeah. I know. I, like, I actually believe this. Like, seriously, every pick that I've made, I actually like really do believe. And that was one. Remember, you asked me rank them in order of the upset. And I had this one last. Like, I, I do feel sure. like I, it's, it's hard to see. 
True. Yeah. Uh, but very much looking forward to that one. 3.30 on CBS. Lock of the week. The streak is dead. Rest in peace. Died a painful mm-hmm. death. Indiana did me dirty. They did. They really <laughs> did. <laughs> one thing about Indiana is when you put any type of expectations on it, they will do the opposite. <laughs> How dare they? Uh, they came all the way back after falling behind 17. Stunned Michigan State. The over t- double overtime. Sickos committee game of the week. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Uh, but I'm 8-4, which, as Drew Page pointed out, that means I'm A&M. So, Spencer. I'm 8-4. Wow. Yeah, normal AM, not like this year AM. Yeah, we gotta get you. Well, I guess that would be this year. We gotta get you the Times New Roman and it just says like Chicago Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> no logo, just just a crew neck sweatshirt. Yeah, I'd love that look. Uh for the first time since September, I will be tasked with bouncing back. That is what I will do. I hate to say this because I am addicted to watching TCU comebacks. Mm-hmm. But my lock of the week is Iowa State plus nine and a half. Ooh. You might be looking at that going, Connor, you're an idiot, which don't blame you. Um, that's a team that's one in seven in conference play. How are they going to hang with an undefeated TCU team? This game is being played at TCU. Look closer. You know the the TCU side of this, right? Seven consecutive wins by 10 points or less. Hasn't happened since the Gerald Ford administration. You, you understand all that. Mm-hmm. Iowa State is this year's Nebraska. They are. Six of their seven losses are by seven points or less. Their lone blowout loss was a 14-point loss at Oklahoma who scored a touchdown with four minutes left to make that happen. I don't think that TCU runs the table and roots of the playoff. I just don't. So I might just keep doubling down on this until I'm right. (laughs) It pains me. It does. Because TCU being nationally relevant with all of these games that have been close has been so fun. Mm -hmm. Give me Iowa State's cover plus nine and a half. Oh, I feel bad feel bad saying that that would be crazy yeah I, I didn't know the thing about like the uh the nebraska thing and how about matt campbell man that guy we, we, he was like one of the highest names in the coaching side he was right after like napier and like as far as guys that could like moved up a division or whatever and oof. but yeah i mean that might just be it it might just be really unlucky and they might be back to like eight or nine wins next year so yeah I, hey maybe this is the start of that cotter i'm high on iowa state next year already <laughs> just because of that water's gonna find its level before we kick it to, to Matt Barry, a word from our friends at Underdog. So you know how sports betting isn't legal in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera, basically most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You may have tried daily fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. You're seeing this all over the place. And they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive agreement right now with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. Great way to be able to get some money to play in these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players, just like what we talk about with our over-unders that we do with every single preview pod. For example, Stetson Bennett, higher or lower, 200 passing yards. It's pretty similar to uh, the sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. All right, so I just looked at some of the higher lowers on underdog. Pretty sure I'm five and two so far. I've been off to a really good start with these. Very, very good. So I'm giving you money. You should listen to this. Here are the ones that I like uh, this week for some Thursday Thanksgiving football. Saquon Barkley over 22 and a half receiving yards, especially with Wanda Robinson torn ACL. I think they got to rely on him a little bit more. Mac Jones under 
224 and a half passing yards. The Jimmy G one, I nailed. That felt very obvious. This one also feels obvious. Justin Jefferson over 93 and a half receiving yards. Obviously, come on, we're not going to bet against Justin Jefferson. What are we doing? That's it. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. And you can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 and get up to $100 free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Matt Barry. Great to catch up with him. Talk some Mullen, some Jaden Daniels, some Auburn, and a few playoff scenarios. So here's Matt. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest is our guy, the man who is on ESPN, I think even more than Stephen A. Smith. Haven't crunched those numbers. I think you are. I think you are. It is Matt Barry. Uh, Matt, I've been wanting to ask you this for a couple of weeks. You call the game at Georgia Tech, which meant that you, you, so you got your first Waffle House experience. I watched the video. Great hashtag content. That's, that's the good stuff. So two questions for you. One, what was your overall ranking on a scale of one to ten? Because you forgot that at the end of the video, got had to have to include the one to ten. And then two, how could you possibly ask for Tabasco and not Texas Pete? So they offered both part one to that, but I'm a Tabasco guy with hash browns. It's always got to be Tabasco and hash browns. I, and I won't, I won't deviate. I'm a big sriracha guy, Tabasco guy. I like any kind of hot sauce. I love Texas Pete, but for me, Tabasco hash browns non-negotiable. Okay. Part one. Part two, I did experience Waffle House, but I feel like it was it was it was dipping your toe into Waffle House world. One, it was a really nice one. Yeah, it it looks was nice. It was top of the line, really nice. Two, I was sober. So you weren't getting the 2 a.m. legitimate Waffle House experience. Having said all of that. With the hype and everything around it, I'd give it a solid six. What's solid about a six? I'd give it six. Like it's you're it's it's it is what it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like if you have a few drinks, maybe it gets up into a ten. But that was my lunch for the day. Stone cold sober, getting ready for the game. It was a six. How did it sit that night? Was that good in the booth? It was fine. Yeah, there were no there were no uh, there were no residuals, so it, it it ended up being okay. Like I, I was happy with that I did had the experience and I was happy that we got out of there injury free. I think every announcer should try and do some sort of variation of the, the very famous Todd Blackledge taste of the town, which he might have trademarked at this point. Yeah, I um, think he, and he does. It's sponsored. Like that's a, that's a big time thing. I think everybody should do something like that though. It's just a nice little way to show, Hey, I'm not just coming in and out of here and just getting out as soon as I can. Um, as, as an Orlando resident, I got to ask you, where did you where did you go when you were in Orlando locally? So that was a tough trip because I flew in late Wednesday night and the game's on Thursday. So we stayed near campus and then I went to some place across the street from our hotel. We were staying at the um God, what was the name of that? It's like a space themed hotel, literally right down near campus. Um, walked across the street. There was like a, um, it was a bar Louie in that area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was, a, there was, there was just a, it was a hodgepodge of things in that area. So I kind of just went, I went chain restaurant just cause I got in late. So I didn't really get to experience all of Orlando. 
Okay, that's actually what many people would say is experience in Orlando is just go to a it's chain restaurant. Chain, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no local eateries in that area, but that's kind of you know a couple of the towns we've been in this year. We've really got to experience. We went to Oxford Tuesday night uh, for the the Egg Bowl, so we'll we'll get some good fine Southern cuisine when when we're there in Oxford. But that is like you said with Blackledge, it's really one of the great parts of doing what we do is you get to immerse yourself in in all of this in these college towns have you experienced the square and i have it's one of my favorite college towns i love it i absolutely love it gosh i forgot that i didn't even realize that you were going to be on the call for for thursday yeah. that's awesome yeah, that game is word as good as it gets it's gonna be good it's good you know our our thursday night schedule it it started with the backyard brawl and then incredible ends with, ends with the egg bowl so it's a, it's a good bookend of rivalries to end our regular season slate Correct me if I'm wrong here. You're, you're kind of going a little bit all over the place, more so this year than years past. I mean, I feel like they weren't sending you all the way out to Provo or something like that for a Thursday night game, whereas this year you've just been everywhere. It's wherever the Thursday night game is, that's just what you are you are on the call for. Yeah, yeah, I, I do all the Thursdays. And it, I think what's happening now is what you're seeing is they're out of COVID scheduling. Uh, last couple of years, you know, with the pandemic still – you know, especially in 2020, there really wasn't much of a slate to speak of until Sunbelt came in and said, hey, we'll play all of them. They maybe had an American game here or there. Last year, picked up a couple of ACC games, but it was still pretty much Sunbelt and American. And now this year, it's kind of a full slate post-pandemic where we're really seeing, like you mentioned, BYU. We've had a number of ACC games. Uh, we did the we did you know coastal on App State, which is always a great game in the Sun Belt. So yeah, we we touched a little bit of everything, and it, and it's made it great. And then we end with the SEC on Thursday. I, I was gonna ask if that was just part of the new contract. You're just like I, I need to kind of get outside of the Northeast. You know, I need there's a big old country I got to see. You know, there's and a I just want huge country. And, and and out of the Northeast is when you get to experience college football. I mean, college football up in the Northeast, it's not it's not big. You know, I, but Jim Moore's doing it. UConn's great. Um, you know, maybe Rutgers here and there in the, in the Ivies, a lot of the Ivies love football, but in terms of like a hotbed of college football, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get out of the Bristol area to go, to go live that up. Okay. So you've spent a good amount of time around Dan Mullen this year, um, yeah. not only with him in studio, but being away, being able to, to call a game with him. And by the way, he was excellent on the yeah. call. I mean, just really, really good. You can understand why this guy has spent, so long in this sport. And I think if he wanted to, he could probably spend another 20 years doing this and live, you know, a very, very good life for himself as a broadcaster. What's your experience been working with him and what do you believe his future holds? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a brilliant offensive mind. I mean, just, just an absolutely brilliant offensive mind. And that's what made calling that NC state game with him. So fun is he actually hadn't been up at a booth since 2008 when he was wow. calling ball, when he was calling ball plays for Florida in that national championship game, because he was, you know, became a head coach. He was on his on the sidelines, so he hadn't seen a game from that vantage point since you know fourteen years. And so to have to see him experience that and to see how his mind works, I mean, he's calling plays. He knows what's coming. He can see things develop. He he can be in media as long as he wants. Um, and even sitting there with him on Saturdays for 15 hours, he see he sees things watching a game. I mean, it's just incredible sitting next to a, ho- uh, a just out of work head coach that's still in the game that knows the recruits that knows everything that's going on that knows the offense. Um, I, I've learned a lot from him, and, I, and sometimes I just sit there and listen to him, and then I'll ask questions because it really is 
um, and education. You're getting like a master class in, in, in football. And then of course, you know, I chide him with things we chide coaches about and things that I've said the last three years when it's me, Joey and Jesse, that I can say to him now is like, do you guys in blowouts, are you thinking about taking your players out and they, when you got a big game next and things like that? So it's been fun to bounce stuff off of them all year. I've seen it a lot with coaches who kind of rediscover their love with the sport, spending that time years, like, you know, not necessarily, you know, they don't need to spend five years away. It's not like some long hiatus, but that's why so many of those, so many of these coaches just, just spend that year in the booth, spend that year in the booth. Irvin Meyer did it. And it kind of allows you to take a step back and just rediscover that love. I like, I, I think that, that Mullen, even though a lot of what he's doing on a day-to-day basis, you would say, all right, that makes perfect sense for him. He's doing the tweets and stuff like that, which by the way, those are great. Have you broken the news to him yet that as soon as Jesse Palmer decides that he's going to stop being Chris Harrison, that Mullen's kicked to the curb? Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Jesse is back this week. Uh, Jesse's back for Thanksgiving and I think championship Saturday. Uh, and then Mullen, the, the beauty of him is he's kind of a hybrid. He, he bounced right into some ESPN two stuff, did some ABC stuff. He's been hanging out with us for the last month while Jess has been gone. So he's called a couple he called midweek match and he called a game with me. So I love that they're kind of turning him into a pocket knife where he can do a little bit of everything. So now that Jess is back, I'm sure he'll pop up on ABC this weekend or ESP. He'll be somewhere this week, and I can promise you that. So very different note. Uh, we talked when you last came on, we talked about Jaden Daniels and yeah. the transformation from Arizona State to LSU, what that was going to look like. And, you know, I, I think that if we had told ourselves back in March or whenever it was they transferred, oh, he's going to lead LSU to an SEC West championship. We're like, what, really? Like, there's there's no yeah. way that's going to happen. I think we would have laughed anybody out of the room that suggested that. How is it as an Arizona State super fan, which you are, how bittersweet is it to kind of watch this play out and watch him mature like this? Yeah, I'm happy for him. I, I'm really happy for him. I think when you see someone who, who gave a lot to your program for three years, um, he was misused, I think, in the in the back half of his time there and just didn't have any confidence. So to see him kind of grow into the skill set that we knew that he had, um, it really is fun to watch. I mean, that first month of the season was was dicey. Um, and it, it didn't look good. It's like, uh-oh, like latter part of ASU, Jaden Daniels is going over to LSU and they're not going to take that well. But Brian Kelly fi- found a way – to accentuate his strengths. And when he's running the ball, he's as dangerous as any quarterback in the country. The problem was he was running the ball at ASU because that's all he could, that he wasn't seeing things. Now he's seeing the offense. They're using him properly. And so he's able to read, react, throw, run. They're using his whole skill set. And that's why they are in the SEC championship game. So to kind of see him grow, over the last six weeks, it really started at Florida and then the Ole Miss game. It really started towards Florida, the Ole Miss game, Alabama. Now, I mean, he's – it is fun to watch. I, I'm rooting for him. And, yeah, I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season, with, especially with what Alabama had coming back, said that LSU would actually be the first team to clinch a spot in the SEC championship game. But, but seeing him use the height of all his powers, it, it's been fun. And I'm glad that Brian Kelly was kind of able to tap into that. What chance do you give him to be able to lead LSU to a win against Georgia? I don't, look, this year anything's possible. I mean, it really is. I mean, we South Carolina, Tennessee, 
No one had that. No one. Um, even Georgia, Kentucky, 16 to six, you know, no one saw that. I mean, now we know that Tennessee's defense is a real liability, uh, just based on what happened with South Carolina and then what happened against Georgia. So they have time to prepare. They've got their final game this week and Georgia's got Georgia tech LSU as A&M. They'll get in there. They'll play ball. And Brian Kelly came to LSU for these moments. And on, in a year where there's just been, it's just been nuts. Um, I, I wouldn't put anything by anyone uh, on an any given Saturday scenario. It's kind of funny too, because you would think, oh, LSU is going to be playing this all or nothing type of game. And Georgia could already have a playoff berth clinch. But then you kind of close your eyes and you're like, wait a minute. Brian Kelly is the same guy that with Nick Saban staring at him on the other sideline said, all or nothing, I don't care. I'm going for two in this spot. I trust my guys to make a play. And you would think in a scenario like this where it's year one, and yeah, you don't know how many cracks you're going to get in an SEC championship, but empty everything you got at Georgia because they're not going to beat Georgia without an out-of-body type day, in my opinion. And that's what lends itself to perhaps Jaden Daniels having a day like that. Yeah, and well – Look, what Brian Kelly's is trying to build a foundation. I mean, in year one, I think that we would all agree he's way ahead of schedule. So now he can sell this to recruits. And you go in there, you got Booty. It's funny, I've heard Kayshawn Boutte a lot, and then a lot booty. of our guys, it's Booty. It's booty. He corrected it. So he corrected it at the beginning of the year and said, like, all right, well, how do you pronounce your last name? And he just said Booty. And booty, I hear yeah. within the broadcast, you'll hear three different pronunciations. Yeah. Just Booty. Booty. Okay. So, you know, they've got booty, the, the, the running back, the young running backs, Emery starting to come on. Um, so look, what I'm getting at is there's five stars on LSU, just like there's five stars on Georgia. Now with an offensive mind, like Brian Kelly time to prepare and a Georgia offense that if they run into a good defense, we saw it against Kentucky, maybe they're being a little vanilla, you can slow them down. And so I don't know that it, Georgia is an LSU at 2019 where they're just unstoppable. So I think BK knows the only way they're going to get in the playoff is if they win. And even then you got to hope that the committee sees it your way. And so, yeah, you just go in there, you're playing with house money, go for it, lay it all out there and see what happens. And I think it's going to be a good game. I really do. One loss USC who wins the PAC 12 give And I think the PAC 12 is really solid yeah. at the top this year. I do. But a one-loss USC team that gets there by virtue of they would have to beat Notre Dame, then they have to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, of course. Who are the teams that 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 USC team can get past to get into the playoff? Because it's like they're not getting past undefeated TCU. They're not probably getting past two-loss LSU. It's more to me about the loser of that Michigan-Ohio State game that that can be pivotal for. Well, they need Georgia to win first yeah. So, but but see, look, so USC or whoever, the Pac-12 champion will be in, in the clubhouse by that Saturday because they play on that Friday night. So what they need to have happen, they need Georgia to win because then obviously that knocks out LSU. So then Georgia's in. They could probably afford and need a TCU loss. Uh, maybe it's a bad TCU loss this week to Iowa State. Or maybe they get tripped up in the Big 12 championship game. Because let's just say they get tripped up in the Big 12 championship game. Then Kansas State's not getting in, right? So then you got a one-loss TCU team that's not a conference champion against a one-loss USC team that is a conference champion. So in that scenario, I think they get in. Um, I don't 
based on it. And look, what if Clemson goes out and dominates North Carolina? They okay. dominate them 49 nothing. You just you don't know. And so USC's best path, obviously they have to win out, and then Georgia needs to win. And then I think you'll have the Big Ten champ, Ohio State, Michigan. You'll have Georgia. You'll have TCU, obviously, should they win out. And I really believe if, if they win out, they're in. Caleb Williams. Barring any chaos. Bar, which this season has just yeah. been a lot of chaos lately. Caleb Williams, would he be your leader in the clubhouse for Heisman right now? I think so. I mean, I was we were I was thinking about that today. Bo Nix kind of slowed down a little bit. He played hurt and remarkable the other night in their win. Uh, Max Duggan, I think, needs to get a lot more credit. Uh, what happened with Drake May against Georgia Tech? You just that that you just can't have happen. Uh, Blake Corum slowed down a little bit. He's had a great season, but he's banged up. C.J. Stroud. I mean, it really is kind of a wide open year, and you could probably make an argument for a lot of them. But if I'll put it this way. I still think the thing's wide open. If Caleb goes nuts against Notre Dame, who, by the way, beat North Carolina, they beat both ACC championship participants. So if he goes nuts against Notre Dame and then has a Pac-12 championship, I think he can win it. I really do. He's that last guy that really hasn't had that one moment of of kind of slowed down player, not great. Uh, so I, I would – say yes he's the favorite and i think he's got the games left to kind of stack his resume yeah i i agree with that and i i've been very critical of him because i thought for a, a, the first part of his career he was getting way too much credit when he hadn't done it against quality defenses yeah. yet and he was phenomenal on saturday night um who do you want to see get the auburn job that's a good question i think it's hugh freeze's time to get back in um I think he's a guy that can win in the SEC West. He proved it at Ole Miss. He's got an offense. He can recruit. Um, and I think it's his time. I think he's he's, he's paid his dues at Liberty. Uh, he is a coach that I think anyone would love to have with, with his offensive acumen. I'm never big on, you know, and, and the lane flirtation is going to happen. I mean, we know that that's happening. And for him to move in division, I mean, that that's not something that's, really bothered him before in terms of like leaving a job unexpectedly Tennessee to USC. So look at the end of the day, someone will give Hugh freeze a power five job, another chance. And the school that does that is going to reap the benefits of it. So if, if I'm Auburn, don't overthink it, bring Hugh freeze back to the sec West. I think you're going to be really happy with what you have. Better question for you who do you want to get the Arizona state job and why is it Brian Harson? Yeah. Harson would be good. Um, it, it's about fit. And I don't know that Harson's a fit in Tempe. Mm. I, I just don't, I think Harson would be better fit in Colorado. The Colorado jobs open. Um, you know, for some odd reason, BYU came open with Sataki. He would be a shoe in at BYU. Uh, I just don't think he's a fit at Arizona state. A couple of names that I would look out for. I'm of the opinion with what ASU is now, you need someone who knows what that job is and what you're getting into. I think Kenny Dillingham being an ASU guy, the offensive coordinator for Oregon knows that he's got one knock on him or two. He's 32 years old and he's never been a head coach. So at that point you'd have to surround him with a, a really good experienced staff. But the guy's from Scottsdale. He went there. He knows offense he knows what that job entails. So why not give a shot to someone who knows what the job is and let him grow as a head coach in your program. That, that'd be one name 
I know Tom Herman's name has bubbled up. You know, I've heard he's ready to kind of get back in. Um, you know, Herman might be a good fit there. But if I'm going for you, look, experienced head coaches are great, and 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 they they bring something to it. But I think ASU is is butchered this so many times that now why not take a swing on, on a young guy who's going to be fired up to have the job and literally give you 24 seven, 365 and just give him an opportunity to grow with the program. That, that's what I would do. Zach Arnett's an, an intriguing one. I don't know if he's ready for a power five job, but the Mississippi state defensive coordinator, who's very highly regarded in coaching circles and would mm-hmm. definitely check that box. And I only push back on Dillingham because he was somebody that I suggested for Alabama's offensive coordinator position would that come open if Bill O'Brien were to, right. to get another job? Or yeah, if and he wouldn't. If he didn't get the ASU job, that'd be a great gig for him at Alabama. It really would. Um, but I, I think ultimately, I know he wants. To, I know he wants the ASU job. I know he wants to go home. Um, so I hope he he gets a legitimate look. Okay, so answer this for me. You've spent time at Coastal <laughs> this year. Who and when is going to be the Power Five school that gives Jamie Chadwell a job? You know, his name bubbled up at Georgia Tech. Uh, I wonder if that's a fit. I think Brent Key has done a great job and probably should hang on to that job. I wouldn't, um, I would not let him go anywhere else. Uh, but Chadwell loves where he's at. He's built a solid foundation there. And I think it's going to have to be a right fit. I mean, it's going to have to be somewhere. That's the thing people miss all of the time when it comes to coaching hires. There's got to be a fit. They just, it has to work culturally with where the guy comes from. I mean, just it, everything has to fit. And, you know, Jamie, there was some flirtation with South Carolina. His name got brought up there. That would have been an amazing fit. I mean, that's the kind of fit we're talking about. Now, I'm just going to – This is, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm merely saying that if for some reason Dabo were to leave Clemson, that would be a type of fit for Jamie Chadwell. Um, if – Virginia Tech, let me, you see what I'm getting at in along that Southern East, that that is where Jamie Chadwell would make a really, really good coach. And someone will give him a job eventually. And I think he'll be a great fit anywhere he decides to go if it's the right place. I just think that, that with his system and how unique it is and what he does, be, it, it would just make sense for some of these power five programs to go against the grain a little bit. And even, even Nebraska, like just be willing to take that chance. Doesn't mean you have to lean into it full triple option or something like that, but just to see a program be willing to go all in with a very unique system that you could still recruit guys to play in the NFL. Isaiah likely is doing great things with the Ravens right now out of that passing scheme. And I, I think Grayson McCall could have a future in the NFL, but like just to see somebody like that, that that's, I, I would love to be able to see Chadwell kind of get that opportunity and not have people just say no, because it's so unique. No, and I don't think they will. Um, look, I've I've gone on the record, and I'll say it again. Like I think Nebraska should just go get Munkin or someone from from Army, and just go. Why the hell not? Like be the one team in the Big Ten that goes back to triple option, and that that I mean, because you're having a hard time getting some athletes to run what you want anyway. Why not just go back to what got you there? Back not in the day with Tommy talent. Frazier, right? Like just. Go do it and be different and see what happens. Now they're not going to, but I, that, that's where I'd go if I were them. Last one for you. If I gave you the choice to get some time off from ESPN, like a certain one of your coworkers, and maybe go host a reality show, which which one would it be? And it can't be sports related. I think I think I have one in mind for you. Host a reality, like a, a reality show. Yeah. 
So I do watch a lot of reality TV with my wife. We're big below deck fans. Um, let's see. Well, I can tell you this. I I'm openly campaigning for the wheel of fortune job. It's the best like job I, in America. I would do like, I want the wheel of fortune job tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm not shy about it either. Like I, I will drop everything to go be the host of wheel of fortune. Um, so that, that would be the answer. It's not reality. It's more game show, but that counts. Me, uh, I look, if Seacrest needed a couple of days off, I would crush American idol. Um, so th- th- those would be the two that I'd, I'd give you. What do you, what do you have for me? Okay. So I was thinking love is blind. I think you have the right temperament for okay. Love is Blind. I, I, and Nick Lachey, to me, doesn't really add a whole lot. It feels very oh. scripted. I, See, I don't like that. Here's my problem with a lot of these shows right now. They're all going for these, these famous people to host them. Like back in the day, you would – Chris Harrison's a great example. No one knew who Chris Harrison was when The Bachelor started. Turned in, he grew with the show. No one knew who Seacrest was when he was a host of American Idol. Turned into it, you know. So Jeff now Post. these shows – What's that? Jeff Probst and Survivor, same right. thing. The, the same thing. So the, there's there's a little pattern right now where they're they're going with some of these, you know, celebrities and and you know we we need to get back to the roots, man. Get, give give Maddie a chance on uh on one of these shows <laughs> and we'll we'll go nuts. I got I'm gonna start campaigning for you for Wheel of Fortune. That is truly the number one job in America. I I would love to see you get something like that. That would be incredible. Let's God. go. Like we're gonna let's openly. I'm telling you that that's the one I'm going for. Wheel of Fortune, uh, Wheel of Fortune or bust. That's it. We'll get Waffle House as a sponsor. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> Waffle House will be the first to solve the puzzle. Uh, Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. Take it easy. Anytime, you bet. How about this one? I call it bold and brash. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash rivalry week edition. Well, is there something a, a touch sad about rivalry week when you're not facing one of your top two or three rivals? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and some of these, right? That's the crazy thing is like there's like the Iron Bowl and then there's like Oklahoma, Texas Tech. And like everyone's experience is like very different rivalry week. But the best part is if you have a game like that and you feel like you kind of wrap it up, it's like, cool, I get to watch and participate in these other rivalries. So there's just pins there. True. I like that. I like that. Okay. Steven Jackson says, and by the way, Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook, sign up right now. Uh, Steven Jackson says, Vandy, South Carolina, and Georgia Tech all keep it a game into the fourth. At least one will score the upset. I don't think it's going to be Georgia Tech. Hmm. Vandy has the best chance of those three, probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'd be different if, if the South Carolina game was, was in Columbia. That game at Clemson with that, I mean, 40 consecutive home wins. 40. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. I mean, South Carolina plays like it did last week. Again, nobody in the world could beat that South Carolina team, but still, man. uh, You feel feel bad if you got Joey B and you're going against that. Right. 63 points. Yeah, I think that's that's one that's like I I would I would more buy Auburn than I would Georgia Tech this week, just because of the style of football. I I I think Georgia Tech's it's not going to beat Georgia. If Georgia Tech has it as a one-score game against Georgia late, the panic. Yeah. Mm, uh, you can see those tweets coming my yeah. way. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think Georgia is able to take care of business. And I don't necessarily think that one would be close. But those two others uh, would not rule out the possibility of at least being a one-score game in the fourth quarter. We bring up that set all the time with yeah. Alabama. Could definitely be interesting. Frisky. Vandy and South Carolina are this time of year. Speaking of that, Dave Cozart says South Carolina upsets Clemson. 
now I'm just doing the, the math in my head of how much more money Shane Beamer would get if he beat Clemson on his he contract. He would get a Shane Beamer. It would just be a BMW with like his face on it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Did you come up with that? Yeah. That's good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Just a Shane Beamer. It's just he his face. Is just in a Shane Beamer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah. You, you can have all the incentives that you want with some of these contracts, but to win a game like that and to do it, especially after beating, beating Tennessee to beat top 10 teams in consecutive weeks would be like, Oh man, you're getting 7 million a year. Is that what we're talking about? I mean, yeah. it would be very, very significant. Um, that, that would change the conversation with South Carolina in a hurry. The color orange on notice. Yeah, very much so. Uh, what if that's just a thing now? South Carolina against the color orange, just yeah. all of a sudden well, just starts. They dominating. did play Florida. Let's not forget. That's like a blue and Good orange point. type vibe. But let's yeah, what? Uh, that would be they're they're going for the win, the 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 split against the color orange. So that's yes. massive for them. Color trend, not so much. We'll we'll, we'll punt on that for now. Mm-hmm. Emery Picker says Vandy finishes the regular season with a longer SEC winning streak than Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, Texas A and M, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. Every saying Vandy's winning, brother. You got that. I mean, look, have it right now. Um, yeah, so that's they they have a longer winning streak than everybody except Georgia and LSU, at least in the SEC. Uh, SEC winning streak. That's the key caveat. Cake Mm -hmm. week can kind of make those numbers a little bit wonky because then a lot of other teams would get involved in that. But man, if Vandy won three in a row and clinched a bowl game, buddy. I was I was seeing tweets. Robbie Weinstein's talking about the the Vandy Collective that's going up right now. I mean, strike while the iron is hot, my man. That is mm-hmm. that that's the stuff you love to hear. That's what Clark Lee came back to Vandy for. Oh yeah, this is the most positive I've been. I tweeted that out the 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 stat about the consec the, the SEC winning streak, and mm-hmm. I I have more Vandy people in my mentions now than I ever have in my entire life. Combined. Yeah, I mean, I think all of it was fair. It's like, like, like I always say, you know, I don't. Sometimes I don't believe you can do it until you do it. Vandy, I knew was going to get there at some point because I really do like Clark Lee. Like, I think he's a good coach. Again, as he said, quote. But you know, what I'm saying, I think they were going to get somebody. Now, getting Kentucky and then Florida is new. I'm not going to say I called that, but you know, they're somewhere. Vandy's yeah. hot. Feeling the vibes right now. Feeling the vibes. Carter Logan says the Iron Bowl is a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Is that bold anymore to say that with how much Alabama has done that? Uh, yeah. Ele- yeah. What is it? It's 11 of 15 SEC games since the start of 2021 that they've been in a one score game in the fourth quarter. I just, so. I feel like the fun police right now. I'm disappointed in myself for not picking that to happen. <laughs> I want that game to be close. I just want Cadillac to be, to have these moments on the sideline where we're like, is he going to do this? Is he going to do this? And mm-hmm. the, the tense iron bull shots are yeah. as good as it gets. As good as it gets, a tense Iron Bowl crowd is phenomenal. It's so good. And we we need those moments. We do. And I don't know that I don't know definitively that we're gonna get it, even though I predicted the thriller. But man, that would be fun. That'd be a fun way to spend Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go to, let's end with this one. Uh Drew Page. Drew Page has, has a couple references on this pod. Drew says, during the Egg Bowl, every player does the peace celebration after scoring, and when they show Lane on the sideline, he'll be wearing an Auburn hat. If Lane does the Homer Simpson, that meme. <laughs> That's a lot. I love that. He just, like, rips it off like it's a wrestling. Oh, my God, he's the Auburn coach. Just when you think you've seen it all in the Egg Bowl, 
Lane takes it to a different level. What a walk-off that would be, man. He's got player transfer portal papers in his hand. He's taking off over. I hope I hope for the sake of both fan bases, this isn't this isn't too nasty, but how is it not going to be nasty, man? Yeah. Uh, like either either way. Well, I take that back. If we find out that Lane turned down a significant offer from Auburn, if we found that information out and he stays at Ole Miss for eight, nine years or something like that, and then he looks, we'll always talk about what could have been with that mm-hmm. contract if Ole Miss does not get to an SEC championship, win an SEC championship. That would be a very um, interesting sliding doors moment for the SEC. It, it is right now. I mean, that's that's oh, yeah. truly what we're looking at right now. Lane's probably not rocking an Auburn hat on the sideline, probably going to wait to throw on the blue and orange for a little bit if he is going to Auburn. We'll right. see about that. Could be an interesting day Friday. Could be a very interesting day. Uh, lad of the week. We skipped yeah. last week. Yes. I, I, I feel so bad. We, we have I had so one, much to make up on. I had one ready to go, man. Can I, can I do mine real quick? Go ahead. So basically, this is during that Mississippi State game with the vibe chains and everything. Um, Auburn had this little bit that they did on their video board that was the mass Singer. And they had a dude singing Luke Combs. And I'll I'll put the video on the um in the Facebook group, but you know, so I'll spoil it for you. It was our boy Derek Hall. And let me tell you what, that is the most lad behavior I've ever seen. We talked about dudes who deserve better, but he that just goes to show he is a through and through Auburn dude. You know, he could have opted out and no one would have blamed him going yep. up seeing how the season went. And obviously the fact that he didn't even sign up for any of this, didn't sign up for Harson, didn't sign up for Cadillac, even he was he's just there. But he's he's a guy that's gonna be remembered in Auburn history, I think, because of the way that he stayed for this team, the way that he's played hard for them. And like I said, Instead of being in, in you know, opting out, going to the draft, whatever, he's there singing Luke Combs on the video board. That is just lad behavior right there. You love to see it. Be yourself. There is no more lad behavior than being surrounded by your buddies and belting out Luke Combs. That That mm-hmm. is true. That, that is just true dude things to do in the year 2022 is to just, just sing some Luke Combs at the top of your lungs. Just do We've it. We've all been and- there. It's got a, it's got a pretty good voice, man. It's got a pretty yeah. good voice. Not not bad. Derek Holland, just saying the whole edge rusher thing doesn't work out. I think it will for you, but you know, just talk to some people. Just saying, mm-hmm. like that, like that choice. I went with Blake Corm, the Michigan running back. Oh, got man. hurt on Saturday, the knee injury. Uh, sidelined him for the second half of that game against Illinois, which was really really entertaining down the stretch. Um, but on Sunday. He goes out and not only does he not look like he's really walking with a limp or anything like that, says, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to be good to play in the Ohio State game. Uses his NIL money to buy a bunch of turkeys and deliver them to local families. Did this last year too. Love Mm -hmm. to see that. He's got a million things he could do other than, you know, deliver turkeys to families. He could be prepping for Ohio State. He could be doing rehab. He could probably be thinking, I'm a running back. You know, my my shelf life is short. I, I got to save every dime of NIL money that I make. Mm-hmm. He's out here making the world a better place. That's what we love to see. Love to see that. Blake Corum, salute to you. Maybe going to win Doak Walker potentially this year. We'll see. I thought he was still hurt. Honestly, I didn't get the update. That's awesome news. That's, you've yeah. just made my day a little bit better. Yeah, Blake Corum's a stud. Easy, easy guy to root for, uh, despite the fact that he wears amazing blue. Yeah, that was a lot. We got through a lot today, Will. That was really good. A lot of great preview stuff uh, that surely everything is going to hit on, and we're going to be hundred for hundred percent on all of our picks. I feel really good about that. Hey, That's one fun. of us has to be closer to it. That's the key about this week. Yes, exactly, exactly. If you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group here, name Red on Air with figuring it out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.